Welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on June the 25th, 2019. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, the delightful and delectable... Caffeine Rage. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we played this week. We're going to be going over our June Game Club, which is Enter the Gungeon. We'll be talking about the Game Club briefly for July, which we've already given to you, Final Fantasy Tactics for the PS1. EA says they're not loot boxes, they're surprise mechanics, and they're quite ethical. We're going to be going into that a bit. NBA 2K19 fans are unhappy at an increase in the number of unskippable ads in-game. We'll have our weekly community corner with something Jim sent in to us, and a Steam weekly discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, a little tired. Uh, uh, throat's a little bit blah because I dared to go outside. I went and played in traffic today. I went to the ATM. Scared the hell of a lady that was uh, sitting there texting. <laughs> uh, yeah. I came up on her. Uh, you know, she was parked uh, in the parking lot of the old bank where they have the 24-hour uh, ATM there. Uh, uh, it's basically mm-hmm. a giant kiosk and I come up on this SUV, and I see the driver kind of slumped over. And I'm uh, approaching it from the back, and I'm thinking, uh, are you dead? <laughs> Go up, start to uh, nearly tap on the window, and I see, oh, she's on her phone, and start to back away. She turned around, and saw me and jumped. <laughs> uh, I felt yeah. I felt a little bad, but you know, uh, you know, a little pleased with myself at the same time, because you know, I'm trying to do the right thing, but it's... Yeah, I can see that from both sides. It's like, because I've done that before. It's like, you see somebody and it's like, oh, is that person, like, okay? And like, you go check. And then it's like, oh, they are okay. But then it's like, you feel kind of bad because like, oh, I just scared the shit out of that person. <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those things that, uh, I, I, it's, you know, you, you see someone slumped over, you go, you know, I go knock on their window, right? That, that's the, that's kind of the normal thing, right? I would say so. There's probably plenty of people, though, that don't would say that we're crazy for going and checking on somebody. Yeah, that's a good way to get shot, uh, especially in the South. Yeah, that's true. But but to be it's fair, good... I, I have a lesser chance of that because I'm very white. Yeah. White in a Southern state. Well, yeah, technically uh, Southern on my part. Well, I'm in that weird gray area. Yeah, there's still plenty of opportunity to be shot, though. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> enough with the, the terribleness that is the southern United States. Or United States in we... general, because we were talking <laughs> politics in the pre-show. Yeah. How about we talk a little bit about some games that we played this week? Uh, we've actually both played all the games we're going to talk about, just at different points to different degrees. Yeah, so, so uh, mini game club again? <laughs> I guess I don't well, know. No, well, I haven't played uh, your second one, so yeah, I guess specifically technically the DLC part, but you play the base game. Uh, so, anyways, uh, let's start off with Astroneer. This is a survival base builder, and this is one of those games that 
it's definitely not for me, I think. But at the same time, I definitely could see where people could uh, invest a lot of time with it. So, uh, Astrodeer is a procedurally generated uh, set of worlds. You uh, uh, start on this starter planet, essentially, essentially easy mode. And you build up a base and launch a rocket and then you go land on another base and kind of rinse and repeat or another planet and build up a base again and rinse and repeat. And this is a game that is very heavily slanted towards multiplayer, in my opinion. And trying to play a single player, there's all the multiplayer mechanics still in place that just kind of brought everything to a halt. So, uh, the first thing that really kind of got to me on Astroneer is that your suit has about the worst oxygen supply I've ever seen in any game. <laughs> I mean, Laura Croft diving underwater could hold her breath longer than this suit could hold oxygen. <laughs> it's uh, rather amazing how bad it is. And I realize that it is a mechanic designed around uh, kind of creating a branching network of uh, essentially pipelines for uh, life support. But at the same time, it's very frustrating, especially on your own in the very beginning, because in order to build up to the point where you're able to build out and start exploring more, you're kind of like almost free diving and going out, uh, watching your oxygen, trying to, uh, on a desperate bid to find one of a couple resources a composite and resin. And both of them are in decent supply in the starter area, but at the same time, they're extremely frustrating because you need several good chunks of it. And it's not just, you know, oh, well, there's a big field. You grab one and go. No, you have to mine several of them with your uh, essentially dirt gun or dirt vacuum cleaner. And... Because they're all concentrated, it doesn't take that long, but at the same time, yeah, the clock's are ticking. And you have, what, like 30 seconds a minute before you suffocate? It's a very uh, not short not 100% sure. It's, I think it's a minute or so. You uh, Did you get, like, the little oxygen that you can collect? Because you can store that in your suit to extend the time. Uh, well, I did get the filters eventually, but... I found those before I had the resources to actually make them. And uh, that that is something that the game does really well, is it gives you that sense of this is a very hostile planet without it being terribly hostile, and that there's chunks of spaceship all, all over the place. There's uh, dead astro- uh, astroneers all over the place that you could kind of salvage uh, their stuff. So it does offer, you know, that sense of, oh, this is a very dangerous place without it being terribly dangerous. There are a few hazards to watch out for, not counting, you know, the purely purely environmental of, oh, your suit absolutely sucks at retaining oxygen. But it's just so sluggish in the beginning that it kind of left a, a bad first impression because... I had it where there was no composite near me and I had no the sources of it. So I couldn't start setting up the network to slowly expand out to explore more. So I was constantly, you know, watching the oxygen 
And because it's on the same resource, if I recall correctly, as the filters and the oxygen tanks, which extends at, uh, actually, if you fill up all your backpack slots, which is your inventory, you could go something like 15 minutes or so before you have to come back for oxygen. But, you know, I just didn't have the resources. So, you know, I was constantly on that frantic search for quite a while, actually, until I just stumbled upon you know, just enough to start making those uh, those uh, tethers uh, the, to uh, start expanding out and start being able to bring in more and more resources. And it really does feel like this game is punishing me for playing in single player because of all those mechanics. You know, I don't have, you know, two or three other people out going in other directions looking for Okay, I need this particular resource to be able to build up the tethers. I need this one to start building up the uh, the smelter. I need this one, uh, this combination, to start uh, getting the uh, uh, the soil uh, centrifuge uh, to be able to essentially. Once you get to that point, though, it yeah, you know, it starts to become a lot easier. It but it just becomes more tedious because I'm playing in single player and I can't you know, uh, designate the task. Okay, we need somebody to go out and dig a bunch of dirt. Well, that somebody is me, but I also have to sit there and man the thing because, you know, that's the only way to do it. <sighs> Maybe this game, uh, because it has absolutely no automation, or I should say limited automation, because if you set up a uh, a set of storage containers on the same platform... They will, you know, cycle things around a little bit, but that's about it as far as I can tell for automation. Yeah, there's limited automation. There's that, and when you're building the the spaceship, like the fuel, it, that process is automated. You just have to put the the resources in for it to produce. Um, I think the game is much more exploration geared and focused yeah which, like not i'm not saying that is like an excuse but yeah which i will say that the game does a very good job even though it is as far as i can tell completely procedurally generated so it doesn't have that handcrafted feel to it there's a lot of caves and a lot of uh, landscapes to explore and that's just on the starter planet before you know blasting off and be able to choose my own adventure going forward and you know, some of it is rather striking. It has this low polygon uh, look to the environment with the uh, uh, the astroneers being high poly, a pretty high detail uh, model. So it has that contrast of making it feel even more alien because of it. And the entire planet is deformable. So, you know, you could just take your vacuum gun and start pointing down and start digging. Bad idea to do so, but you can do it. It's just like Minecraft, don't dig directly under you. Right. And I'll say that also the gun can be a little bit frustrating at times just with uh, sometimes it'll latch onto a surface and because the uh, polygons are, uh, well, it's a low polygon surface. So there's a stark difference between the curvature of it. It can be very difficult to build bridges or uh, build structures of a particular direction so there was a couple times that i uh, was having trouble just because i would accidentally click on something that i didn't mean to 
and because the camera is a physical object in the world, it would get stuck on something. Or the backpack, if you're in a very enclosed environment, the backpack becomes a physical object. Well, a, a, a secondary physical object, I guess I should say, that you can interact with more easily. But if you're in a very enclosed environment, well, you're going to have trouble because it's going to be clipping through the ceiling and you can't access some of the slots on it. Which is incredibly frustrating. I've never had that happen. I, I, oh, I had yeah. it happen uh, quite a bit, especially... I eventually was getting to a point where I had a lot of organics and I was uh, smelting them down into carbon. And I built a cave to just, it was sort of a reverse coal mine. I was burying it. Just that. Nice. (laughs) I got a smile out of it. I could hear it. It did. Uh, But... I was uh, just storing it all in there, and the ceiling was too low, so whenever I'd open up my backpack, uh, the top of the backpack was clipping into the ceiling. Incredibly frustrating. And I think that's really the thing for this all around, is that there's a lot of frustrating mechanics if you're alone. The research is all time-based, and there's no way to queue it up. So, you know, you set this giant bulb of a plant down, onto the uh, research pod and it starts scanning it for 10 minutes and that's your research uh, uh, essentially the uh, data for your research to unlock other things and if you're gone while that's still going and it finishes off well your research is going to come to a stop so you either need to go back early or try to time it so that okay i'm only going to be gone for so long i have uh, this much time uh, and keep an eye on the research page to uh, see when it starts, you know, not going up, so you can tell. Okay, my research is done. I should uh, start wrapping up to go back. I, I just found a, a lot of little things that were irritating me, or, uh, sort of like that. Which I know, in a multiplayer game, that would be designated to a certain person. Another person would be designated to like bring stuff back or uh, exploring for new resources. But overall, it feels like the game is lacking something. And I think it might just be that it doesn't really have that next layer. Unless, you know, getting to space completely changes things because it might, it didn't, I just didn't get that far, but I was up to the late mid tier stuff where I was basically just sitting around waiting for the soil centrifuge to finish off, you know, centrifuging. You know, it, it does what Jared used to do and spin and go. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never been to space in Astroneer. Um, I played, um, I guess, six, eight months ago a, a bit with Jim and Spaceman. And I can't remember if anyone else joined in with us. But we, we started a game and we got all the way to building the rocket. And like we were in the process of making the fuel, which takes forever. And then we just kind of stop playing. So I don't know if it drastically changes when you go to space. It's better with multiple players. Um, for a lot of the stuff that you said, you know, you've got multiple people working on the same thing at once. You gather resources faster, manage resource or manage research faster and building when you get to, cause you didn't get to the part, I don't think, <clears throat> where you have to build parts for vehicles and stuff like that. There's uh, no, entirely I was, separate. Uh, setting, uh, waiting for research. And also, I had uh, a couple things where I had one of the big research pods that I found 
uh, wedge into the ground and kind of get stuck on the rock and I didn't have the upgrades to be able to dig it out. It kind of just, you know, sunk in, just latched on. It's like, no, fuck yeah. you. But, yeah, there's a completely separate thing for building vehicles and stuff. And, I mean, the actual system, like, where you put it down on the ground is relatively the same as building other stuff. Um, But, yeah, it's playable solo, especially if you want just a very relaxed sort of wandering around experience, but you definitely can get shit done a lot faster with multiple people just because the way to, excuse me, because the way the game's designed. So, I mean, you have got it because of the Xbox PC Game Pass. Yeah. I have it in both Steam and because of that, but we discovered it's not cross-platform yet between, yeah, between PC and Steam or Microsoft and Steam? Yeah, supposedly, it's cross-platform. Yeah, supposedly what they're going to do is put in dedicated servers, which will allow for cross-platform play eventually. And I am looking at the change logs, and they have patched this game a fair bit. So, you know, there, yeah. is, it, there is a lot of ongoing development, but at the same time, there's... Uh, <laughs> it, this feels like uh, almost a live service game where they put out... Yeah, the game in essentially a bare-bones state and just adding to it after the fact. Well, I mean, it was early access, which I don't know where the line is between something being called live service and early access at this point. But, I mean, it was an early access game, so that is how it started, bare-bones, and has grown over time. Yeah, and it was in early access for a year and a half, thereabouts. I'm not sure. I know when I played it previously, it was still in early access. Uh, let's see. The earliest... I'm just looking at this. Uh, earliest patch was December 16th, 2016. Uh, alpha... First alpha patch was December of 2017, so a year. And it went into uh, 1.0 in February of 2019. So, there you go. I mean, so it looks like. I mean, it just feels like they didn't do a lot. I'm on the wiki, and it looks like the various planets have unique special resources on them for, like, top tier research and then collectibles. Are there hats? So. I don't know. I'm not on the collectibles tab. Under the collectibles. It does look like they do change some of the parameters. So, uh, for example, I'm assuming this is the, uh, uh, Sylvia is the first planet that you get. Uh, uh, it's considered easy difficulty. It has a uh, medium sun, so it's fairly close where solar is worthwhile and wind is medium. But then you have an arid uh, planet that has very high sun because, you know, it's a Mercury analog or close to it. But then you have other ones that are very difficult that have very little uh, power generation outside of just nuclear. I mean, it's interesting, but at the same time, there's just... Uh, it, it, it just feels like there should be something else to the base building that uh, that... And I can't, it's one of those things that 
you know that there's something missing or feel like something's missing, but you can't quite put your finger on what. Maybe it's the yeah. uh, the lack of automation or uh, uh, you know, some form of it for single player that makes it feel like it's lacking. I don't know. I mean, it, it does get a little bit. So after I, I played single player, then multiplayer, and then played a little more single player. And it's one of those things like once you do have the hang of it, you can get going a bit faster. But after the initial sort of push, it does slow down a lot more as a single playing it single player. So, I mean, I like Astroneer and I'd be willing to give it a shot either with you, just you or with other people, like depending on what state cross platform is at. And if anybody else gets the PC, whatever game pass, the PC master race game pass. Yeah. The PCX game pass. The X B O X P C M O U S E P. Did you say M O U S E? Yes. Nice. So. I mean, that's kind of my default thing if somebody starts throwing out a bunch of letters. Yeah. I always go R E S P E C T. Yeah, but I give no respect. <laughs> so is that is that what you have on Astroneer? I don't want to like uh, close pretty, it out for you. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> It does feel like there's uh, more here. It's just because I got frustrated with the base building, especially how sluggish everything is. Maybe th- maybe that's it. That you know, This is starting to feel a little bubble-ish. Which I do have a bubble game I'm working on. Uh, I'll have that for next week. Because, you know, Astroneer was a bust and I needed something that wasn't going to absolutely beat my ass. Uh, a little teaser for uh, Enter the Gungeon there. But yeah, nice. I would be willing to give this a shot for like a community game night or yeah, uh, go uh, build our own thing because it does look like there's a lot more here. It's just it's obfuscated by this. <sighs> Calling it lackluster feels a little bit over the top, but uh, shallow esque. Uh, shallow-ish uh, a base building mechanic, so it's it feel it's more of an exploration game, and I was going into it wanting a little bit more base building. Maybe this is the city skylines problem of it's bad if you're going into it and expecting something that it's not. If you're looking for a city management game, more like Sim City was, you're going to hate city skylines. If you want a more light city builder. Or city management with a, a lot of sandbox elements. You're absolutely going to love city skylines. Maybe that's the problem here. Is that I'm going into it with the wrong expectation. And thinking that this game is something that it isn't. Fair play. Fair play. Makes sense. So uh, how about uh, looking for things. Uh, expecting something and getting something else. Uh, another round of Forza Horizon, uh, lap two. Yeah, lap two. So, I, I went a bit more into the online component of Forza Horizon, mostly due to the Forzathon, which is this month-long uh, in-game event that uh, happens every month. That gives you points to uh, buy new cars. That uh, you know, it, you, you get more cars that go vroom, but rarer cars that go vroom. And, you know, it, it kind of scratches a itch that I didn't know I had. You know, sort of this collection thing. But I'm also a tinkerer, so 
you know, I'm kind of falling into the, you know, toying around with different builds and, uh, you know, mechanic stuff. Yeah. But uh, part of it required me to go online and do some racing there. And there's really two major components, well, three major components, but two that are more fleshed out. There's the Ravel system. There's just pure online racing. And there's the blueprint system. And we never really talked about any of them last time around because we didn't really dive into them, I don't think, until after yeah, the podcast. Yeah, I don't think we had. So let's just go ahead and uh, take these in turn. So the Ravel system, I think, is the rather simplest one to talk about, is that it's essentially a leaderboard system where certain maps and certain uh, class restrictions on the cars are... Uh, pitted against or you it's a well like i said it's a leaderboard so uh s-class cars are grouped together and you're told okay you're at the bottom of the pack uh at this time and you run a lap or, or two or whatever the particular event is and you're essentially slowly climbing up the ranking system and this is the most bare bones system out of it i think but it's also, I would say, the most competitive where, you know, you're, oh, I just missed that. I just got that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it has absolutely no interaction with the other players whatsoever. <laughs> I don't think you, you know, oh, no, you do see a ghost. Yeah, you see a ghost. Which uh. I imagine, uh, you know, some of the top ghosts are probably glitched all to hell. Because there's some times on there that, I don't see how they're possible. Yeah, I haven't really checked. It made you my first rival. Yeah, same here. And after I, like, did it and beat you just to get the whatever, I haven't gone back to it. Yeah, I, well, I also found that uh, the way the rival system is set up is that if you want to maximize it, you kind of just coast along because the first rival time is, like, something like 13 or 14 minutes. Yeah. Uh, you know, essentially somebody walking the track. And every time you redo that particular race, it puts you against a rival that is either your time or slightly better. So if you really want to milk it, you know, you slowly coast, you build it up, build it up, build it up until it starts to become a challenge. And that's the other thing is because of how the rank up system works is that it really pays off to do that, but there's also enough events in the game that if you don't want to milk it you don't have to just go to a different event you know uh, go uh, hit the drag strip and uh, uh, you know see how fast your acceleration can be uh, go uh, hit you know uh, one of the uh, circuits go do a land rush that sort of thing which since we're talking about you know different types of races let's talk about the blueprint system this is the most robust system in the game and also the most trash system in the game, in my opinion. Now, you actually did some blueprints, but you were doing them essentially copying other races and uh, changing the restrictions so that you could take, you know, like your bootleggers races, right? That sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, because I was, uh, just for funsies, I was like, I'm going to do some muscle cars on dirt tracks, like bootlegging type stuff. See, I didn't do you- uh, actual... Uh, creation. I was doing some of the uh, actual races. Yeah, you know, I was the content consumer. You're the content creator in this. 
uh, just how robust is it? I know that you could set the uh, pathing and set up uh, checkpoints at pretty much uh, will. Uh, how it's, uh, robust is like the restrictions and uh, that sort of thing? Um, you can restrict it from as simple to as specific as you want. You can choose either like you could do unlimited, which is you can do anything you want. You could restrict it by, you know, S class, A class, B class. You get more specific and say front wheel drive cars only, or you could pick a specific make uh, of car, so Ford or Dodge, or you could uh, pick a specific car. You could say things like stock only. And you could say, I mean, you could be. It oh, was so, very robust. So I would uh, be able to make my peelathon, yeah. my peel marathon across the map, stock peels. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, you could do that if you really wanted to. But it's it's pretty robust. I mean, it, it lets you choose from basically all of a lot of very specific options. Yeah, see, so. I was picking through the blueprints, and uh, my problem with the blueprint system is that people have been gaming the system. Uh, that if you go to the top, you know, whatever, all of them are either cheat farms or uh, very specific achievements, you know, especially because the Fortathon uh, requires, like, a very particular thing, like, get so many pass uh, uh, skills. I ran into one that was uh, literally a 10-second race that the AI cars had to do this long, winding turn, and you just could go straight to the end. Uh, Because the way the game is set up is that the AI cars will try to follow the path and uh, <clears throat> checkpoints could be put anywhere along that so there was a couple races I encountered that were uh, that claimed to be farms and I thought no oh, so uh, it's going to be like a long race but you'll be uh, worthwhile no it was up and down the highway and there were three checkpoints one the roundabout on one end one on the roundabout on the other end and one that kind of guided you to the start-finish line. And the AI cars, uh, they weren't allowed to get a good speed up because every time there was like a uh, exit ramp or something, they'd be forced to go up it and down it. So, you know, they uh, would constantly be uh, picking up speed and slowing down to kind of counteract any rubber banding that they may do. And it was pretty much just full throttle up and down the highway for 15 minutes. And it would give you like 100,000, 150,000 credits because it's based on distance. And uh, it would give you a bunch of uh, spins because you would be able to just go pretty much uh, yeah, pedal to the metal and build up absolutely amazing amounts of just uh, skill ups, which those would in turn give you level ups to... Uh, give you free spins on each level up of either your global influence or for that particular uh, type of race. And it was very, very, very difficult to find anything that wasn't just, you know, grind, farm, or achievement hunting. I did find a couple, but they were so buried that, you know, I wouldn't be able to find them again if I didn't favorite them. And it's a real shame because there's a lot of flexibility, a lot of strength in this system, but, you know, it's just, 
it's the it's the steam store problem where you know there's so much trash yet you can't find anything good and there's no curation on it so right yeah i was very disappointed by it yeah i uh i barely looked at it like i poked around for a couple minutes and i was like nah, i'll just set up a couple things that i want to do myself i mean i did a couple of the farm races mostly to try to uh build up for a house but it wasn't particularly fun because i could take my fastest car run up and down the highway and you know that was it i would get like a half million to a million depending on the roles because a lot of it was uh the income from the various roles on level ups but you know it was just it it was mind-numbing you know I'd, i'd turn on podcasting you know just kind of just hammer down i would have to take my foot off the accelerator once going up and once going down because my uh hyper car that i had set up for the race uh, you know to go you know 175 miles per hour or sorry 275 up and down the highway it had just enough lack of downforce for that one turn or that one set of turns that i'd have to back off a little bit so yeah, the the blueprint system just feels like it's a underutilized and just disappointing system. Which uh, also in turn uh, we could talk about just the online races in general with that the rank system, which is behind a massive well not massive ground wall but a ground wall which I think is keeping out a good chunk of the player base in order to do ranked racing which is a more dictated uh, form of racing. Uh, You're able to pick a little bit more of what you're wanting to do. You have to hit level three in unranked, which is quite the achievement, actually. (laughs) Most of the racing, it's not that hard to build up ranks, but for some reason, online racing, it takes quite a while. I guess, you know, just trying to keep, you know, the riffraff out. But because of that, you know, you're only getting a little bit of the player base and it makes the match making excruciatingly long. I'm talking five, 10 minutes to just find a race, which this was right after the uh, game pass came out. So, yo, it was like the second life for the game. And this was during peak hours. I can't imagine being on a less populated server or less populated server region. And like the dead of night, yeah, it would be just horrible. But anyway, yeah, oh, sorry, I haven't on. tried. I, I was gonna say I haven't tried this at all. Like I've eyed it a couple of times, but I'm like, nah. Eh. Well, I, I, well I have a lot of criticism about this, so I may scare you off or I may interest you because it did kind of make me go back and look into tuning my cars a little bit more because I thought, yeah, this is good enough. No, it's not good enough. Uh, right, go try again. Uh, my big, big, big criticism of online racing outside of just the fact that nobody seems to be doing it. So, you know, the times are just absolutely insane is that it requires you to essentially have a half dozen to a dozen different cars of various disciplines and classes set up and ready to go for pretty much anything. Once you start a uh, online event which takes quite a while like i said and also 
everybody has to accept it. So if you get up and you go to the bathroom and you're gone for more than 30 seconds, there's a good chance that you'll miss it. And then you're back in the queue. There's no auto join and you know, you're given a little bit of time to uh, go in. No. And if anybody doesn't join, if it goes 11 out of 12, it'll dump everybody back to the queue, which is rather frustrating. It only allows 12 out of 12 players, which is part of the reason why I said that if you're in a low server population area, this has to be frustrating as hell. So get in and you don't queue up for a particular race type or even class. It just puts you on whatever. So you make it, okay, you get uh, S2, uh, a dirt track. But then the next race, oh, you get B-class street racing. Then the next one, S1-class circuit racing. So you need a lot of cars set up and to remember which cars are which. (laughs) Which, you know, isn't that bad, but... It requires a lot of investment, both money and time-wise, to be able to even hope to be competitive because you're having to set up for so much and you have no idea what you're getting into, which is just crazy. <clears throat> uh, was it like this in the previous forces? No. Um, let's see, when did they start doing the online championship and, stuff? Forza 3, I and think? And this was all ranked stuff so this wasn't just yeah oh you're in the unranked uh uh queue so uh, yeah it'll just throw you in whatever no this was the rank stuff was doing this only thing it would uh you would have a choice of is if you're doing uh, a free-for-all or team-based uh racing but in the in the olden days back in my day get off my well, lawn when they first when they first started doing this they had tournaments and you would have to sign up for the tournament and then show up. And if you didn't show up for the first round, then you were out. And, you know, you would sign up a week or a couple of weeks before the tournament actually started. And that's how they did these seasonal events. And it's kind of progressed from there. It was like that in Forza 3 and 4. And then Forza 5 has like a, a constant rank system you can drop into. And I guess that's kind of the genesis of where this started. But since this is my first Forza Horizon, I don't know how it has differed from previous Horizons. But this sounds relatively similar to the system for Forza 5. But Forza 5 would set up like these tournament events that you would just queue into. And once the queue was full, like it would go. And it was one at a time. And you could pick which ones you wanted to do. And they would be sort of rotate on a weekly or monthly basis. And it's like, okay, you can do the A-class whatever, or you can do the stock Corvette Q or whatever. And you can just drop into them that way. Yeah, that was something else that I found just frustrating was the fact that, you know, it was completely random. So I typically like dirt <clears throat> racing with some street racing. I don't really care too much about the circuit racing, even though I do have a couple cars that are better for it. But it's just not as interesting to me to do, you know, a bunch of laps on a short track compared to a rally event or a rally type event or just, you know, long uh, uh, over road racing. So the fact that I couldn't pick and choose already kind of soured me to it a little bit. But then there's also the hell is other people aspect of it. (laughs) 
where there was several times where I would go into team-based racing and I would have my own team screw me over so many times. And I'm pretty sure it's just, you know, you know, people not understanding and thinking maybe they went into the uh, uh, free-for-all, but at the same time, it's, you do realize this is team, right? <laughs> so there was a couple of times that I got actually spun out by my teammates. Just, uh, I would start passing them because I would be in a car with a bunch, uh, better set acceleration. And they would just go all the way across the road and spin me out. You know, a pit maneuver. Or they'd yeah. bump me and uh, cause me to miss a checkpoint. And then uh, start yelling about, well, uh, yelling as much as they could because, yeah, quick chat only. About losing the event when, you know, I was able to pull my weight because I went from, you know, mid the pack, uh, middle of the pack to all the way last to, you know, 30 seconds back. Because... I got spun out uh, and missed a checkpoint, and the re, uh, the rewind system in co-op sucks compared to uh, single player only. Well, yeah, because it doesn't actually rewind time; it just rewinds your car, so you can correct a mistake, but everything keeps going around you. Which I mean makes sense. Yeah, but there's also online. a load time, so if you it's the essentially the quick uh, rewind without the time rewind that goes along with it. But the stepping on it is so short that unless you are unbelievably uh, uh, quick with the trigger finger on the rewind, you're going to have to hit it at least twice to have any uh, chance to go back to a time that could actually make a difference. So, yeah, it's just, you know, adds to the frustration of it. So you rewind. Oh, I missed the thing again because I, it was right after I got nudged. So we gotta rewind twice now. So yeah. That said, I, I did enjoy a couple times the over uh, land races and the uh, some of the uh, team based stuff when it was a good race, but that was so few and far between that. Outside of when the Forzathon requires me to you know essentially re uh, uh, register my ranked position. I'm probably not going to touch online play at all just because it's just such a frustration. And yeah, this becomes a chicken and egg problem of, okay, well, the queues are long because there's not many players, but the uh, there's not many players because the queues are long. And they're dicks to one another. Yeah. And I have no idea just how to solve that problem. I mean, this is a problem that's plagued a lot of games, hasn't it? Yeah. The, the ranked scene for Forza has always been a lot, a lot smaller. Well, even free-for-all took ages to matchmake. And that, uh, that had a lot wider of a, uh, of a, uh, pool of, uh, events, it seemed. So, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that I'm not 100% certain of what their exact plans were for this but yeah uh, the online just uh, is uh, like the sour point for me but if I want those sweet sweet points and all those uh, shiny cars that go vroom I need to you know do it every so often and yeah I don't know if I'll ever get into ranked play maybe I just I, I spend too much time like 
just wandering around, kind of doing my own thing. Dicking around. I've started doing I've started doing the playground games a lot. Like every time I see someone pop up for playground game, when I'm just oh, I did do the playground games as well uh, for the Fortathon, and it was another one of those that there was a group that was obviously working together on like Discord versus a group that of completely random. So yeah, that's already troublesome. And the matchmaking yeah. uh, set it so that it was six on four. And this was after a five-minute matchmake. Yeah. We were... I've done it twice, and I've lost both times. And you have to win to get the credit for completing it. Yeah. The The first time, I mean, it was fairly even, and we just lost. It was one and one. And it, no, it was it's three out of five. It, like it's it, either, it was like it's either best of three or best of five. I think I think it was best of it's best of five for this one. But what it was like we were tied in the last game we lost, and it was like fair and square and all that jazz. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I did it again, and it was three on six. Like it's it started a six on six, and then I don't know if someone just quit because they didn't like the like that we were losing the first one, or if they disconnected or what. But then it was three on six. And it doesn't readjust teams or anything, nope. so we we lost very easily the the next two, and then they won, you know, three at best three out of five because they won all three. So then I didn't I didn't try it again. I'll probably try it one more shot before it rolls over on Thursday. But I mean, I got like seventy, I've got seventy something percent completion, which is more than enough to get the like tier one reward or the. The, like, the top-tier reward for completion is, like, a, a Mustang that I already have. So, I'm not upset if I don't get that. Yeah, there's two different sets. There's the month-long uh, playlist, and then there's the weekly playlist, essentially the season and the uh, year. Yeah. And I have uh, both for the winter and the first one for the uh, uh, year-long, or year-long in sarcasm quotes. And The four seasons? Yeah. Sorry, I was uh, waiting for you to break into song there. Uh, but I already got the uh, limo that's the high-end reward from the uh, year-long event, so I don't really care all that much about that. No. And that's the other thing, is that the rewards, because they're also on the uh, randomization table, you know, I was looking through the ranked stuff, and... Uh, you know, the Warthog is like a rank 7, or, or no, I'm rank 17, so like rank 14 or 13 uh, uh item. And it's uh, the highest uh, uh rank that you get. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the end of the month, I'll get a few things because uh, uh in my 10 matchmaking matches, which ended up taking me like two evenings to do, uh, must have hit rank 17 and fell back down to 18. So I'll still get the stuff for uh, rank 17, even though I'm not technically in it now. Or was ever placed in it. So there, that is one thing. And it is a fair amount of credits, but... Yeah, there's other ways to get credits, like going to do the blueprint stuff, and you don't have to deal with other people. <laughs> yeah. Or completing the story business things because you get passive credits from that. Yeah, but not or a lot actually. Tunes. No, it's like if when you get one of them to three stars max, it's like fifteen thousand a day, which is chump change. Yeah, it is. But 
for I think there's three businesses, so that's like forty five thousand a day, and then whatever you get for selling tunes and um, the various paint jobs, yeah, libraries. Which I've gotten a little bit of passive income from that, but I still get mo- I, a huge chunk of my income has came from cars doing the um shit the little like upgrade tokens or whatever because all for example all of the drift cars in that drift pack have got one that gives you 300,000 credits when you unlock it and i mean i have i always have tons of points built up that i'm not really spending cuz i tend to drive a few cars and then anytime i get a new car and like drive it for something i'll dump points into it to get all the wheel spins and then I saw that all of the drift cars have credit rewards. Yeah. Uh, and then other yeah, cars the have them pack. sometimes too. Yeah. So there's, I think, six cars. So that's, what, 1.8 million credits right there? Oh, here's the fun part is that if you put up enough skills, you just keep buying them. Yeah. So, yo, know, if uh, there are ways to grind it out, but, you know... It's kind of funny, the uh, best way to get credits is far from racing. <laughs> yeah, racing gives you the lowest amount of credits for anything. I mean, I do the racing because I enjoy it, but I've spent the last two days driving around, three-starring all of the drift zones. There's two I can't three-star just because they're completely covered in snow and I can't see the road and I've given up trying to just get it randomly. But all of the rest of them I've three-starred. Yeah, you've actually gotten me doing somewhat okay on drifting yay i still hate it but i'm able to do it yeah so there is that you get good rewards for for uh, all of those like skills or whatever that you are not skills but all of those progressions i don't know yeah all of the progressions give you good rewards as well cars and money and wheel spins and whatnots yeah, uh, it's good. I, They're all. I, I went and did the drift, or not the drift stuff, but the drag stuff that it gave me an Ultima on like rank three. Yeah, I've unlocked all of the drag courses now. I was grinding that a little bit earlier. Yeah. Drag racing is really boring. Yeah, it's uh, in this. Yeah, it's uh, you get a decent enough car to uh, have a the ultralight that I have. It pretty much just blows everything away on uh, the hardest difficulty. <laughs> Uh, I yeah. went to unbeatable uh, uh, manual, and I was beating the other cars by two seconds. Yeah, which on a which drag is race, eternity in, yeah. in drag racing. Yeah, it's like they're at the seventy-five percent mark. Yeah, I went out to the ice strip and was using one of my all-wheel drive big off-roaders, and then I'd set it to like unlimited, and they're all in like rear-wheel drive super and hyper cars and eventually given enough distance they would pass me but for like the i don't know like quarter mile, mile drag strip mile quarter mile i think i think on the the ice it's more than a quarter mile i'm not sure yeah i will say that they do have one really good <clears throat> drag strip and that's on the highway the beach actually is my favorite drag strip i just like it just racing down the beach well life is a beach and then you get sand in your crack. And then you fry. No, you get sand in your crack. you forgot to put on sunscreen. No, you get sand in your crack because it's coarse and it gets everywhere. Not with me. I don't go to the beach. 
but I see what you did there. See, I don't go to the beach either because I'm afraid that uh, I lay on the beach and people would gather around and start dumping water on me and trying to push me back into the ocean. <laughs> I just turn into a really fat lobster because I burn very easily. Um, no, hang on. How much butter do I have? Hmm. Not enough. Not enough. Obviously. So I don't think I have really. Ha- I mean, you talk. You've done more of the online stuff than I have. You know, I, I've done some of the seasonal stuff, but you talked about that. I haven't done the range. Yeah, you've done more of the Forza there... stuff since last time. The Forza-thon. Yeah, I mean, I've done everything except for on the Forza-thon, except for the ranked. And well, I was talking about the Forza-thon uh, lives and uh, just getting a feel for it. Oh yeah, I've done bunches of the, the Forza-thon lives. I've got a couple of cars that I use for those. It's just like kind of general purpose cars because if a bunch of people well not a bunch but if at least you know four or five people show up for Forza-thon it doesn't really matter what car you bring there's enough people to complete the challenges and if less than that show up well you're probably only going to get two of them out of the three and if only you're there you're only going to get the one and you're going to like it yeah even though whenever it goes uh, to the drift event you know you could start seeing people just kind of hovering around waiting which yeah. is annoying. Doesn't help. But I've got one like general purpose off-road car and one general purpose on-road car. And when I get to the live, I take a quick look at the map and see what's likely to be picked for the yeah, events. Yeah, I take it my route. Accordingly. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's a good way to do it. Hey, I, I was able to call... Uh, well, I only called two of the events, uh, but I called both of them uh, that one time, remember? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I generally like everything about the online, and I ha- but I haven't tried the ranked. It sounds like that I would be frustrated by trying to do ranked. I'll probably give it a shot at some point. Yeah, I would say that... Because it you... counts for the whole se- or the whole year, yeah. air quotes, year, if you do those, so... Yeah, so and I'm it goes going, retroactive yeah, as well. Yeah, so I'm going to have to uh, go back to the unranked, so, yeah, and knock that out over the course of next week. I mean, it's not... It's not that bad now that I know that, you know, I only have to do it once a month. But it's something, you know, definitely don't want to sit down and do it all in one night, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's something we can co-op. I don't know. Yeah, we could give it a shot. That would at least increase our chances of filling up the room. And yeah. and have maybe one competent driver on my team. <laughs> oh, thanks. Well, at least know that if uh, you run me off the road, you'll say sorry. Not nice driving. That's true. I will say sorry. I try not to run you off the road, but it does happen sometimes. Yeah, but we at least communicate. Yeah. Like uh, right now when you should be going to your other game? A fair, uh, A good bit of communication there, sir. So, my other game from this week uh, is Battletech Urban Warfare, the second of the sort of first group of planned DLC slash expansions, is out. It actually it released at the beginning of June, um, and I've played it a little along over the last couple of weeks, but I played it a lot the last couple of days because I took a couple of days off of work for some relaxation uh gaming time 
And so I've poured some time into it. I've not like beaten everything that there is. It added some new flashpoints, which I haven't gotten to yet because I started over just to experience all of the new stuff from the beginning. They've done a lot of a lot of tweaks and added a lot of stuff that's kind of uh, more sweeping. Like they added new maps, uh, a bunch of new maps actually. The urban warfare uh, expansion adds urban warfare, so Imagine there that. are a there are a uh, fifty new planets that they added to the galaxy map, and then they tweaked certain planets to include urban combat environments. So before everything was an open field of some kind snowy mountains or an open moon a martian wasteland what if it was a jungle but um (laughs) no battle stations in in this iteration of battletech but there are battle stations in other ones but anyways um it you know everything was essentially an open field and that was fine i mean there's plenty of open fields to fight in 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 battletech lore but it really restricted well it didn't but it encouraged a certain type of gameplay it encouraged a lot of long range sniping type stuff a lot of missile boats um and you know you keeping your distance now they've added a lot of urban combat maps so jump jets are much more useful than they were before for increasing maneuverability you can jump over buildings or use them buildings as sniper points uh and a lot of mechs that didn't work so well in open combat fields that particularly were designed with urban combat in mind. I mean, the urban mech is the most obvious because it has urban in the title, but a lot of mechs that you see in the heavy and assault class range are designed to be city defense mechs fighting in close quarters and they don't do as well in open fields. So uh, a lot of those mechs get a new lease on life. And jump jets start being used a lot more by me than they were previously. Uh, the maps are, are really interesting. Um, it's cool to stomp through the city and smash cars underneath your feet. And uh, to blow up buildings and things that other mechs are using for cover. Maybe because it's not... You can't jump over them. Like a building's too tall. Or uh, so it's just more easier than for you pound. to... Yeah. Or it's just easier to lay waste to the field in front of you to clear out some space for your really big guys. With uh, but it's nice. It, death toll. Yes. Um, standing on top of buildings when they're destroyed now is a bad thing. Uh, you could target buildings previously um, and blow them up, but Max would just sort of drop harmlessly to the ground and then get the cover bonus from the rubble. But now if there's a mech on top of a building and you destroy the building... Uh, it falls down, so it'll have to spend its next turn to stand up, and then it also takes damage, uh, as if it had done a death death from above attack. So it takes that equivalent damage to his legs. Ooh, I could be rather nasty so, depending on the mech. Yeah, uh, and the AI definitely utilizes jumping on buildings and around. Um, they've made a lot of general improvements to the AI. Um, they will more intelligently overheat their mechs to fire certain weapons um to do more alpha strikes and like i had i've had a couple of complete wipes where just the new ai uh, intelligence like it's not as exploitable as it used to be and so my previous tactics to draw them out weren't working they would focus fire a lot more than they used to would um so if they 
weaken one of your mechs or one of them is already weakened, they will try and take it down. They also seem to prioritize targets a little more intelligently. They will go hardcore after that heavy uh, long-range support mech that you've left in the back alone because used to the AI just attacked whatever was in front of it. So it, it doesn't, it still doesn't always work, but it's better. And you have to think a little bit more about your placement of what you're doing. And that goes double uh, for the placement because now they have stray shots. So you know how previously uh, you would occasionally miss and you would see one of your bullets or a laser beam hit a building and it would do some cosmetic damage or it would like very clearly hit another mech, but it just was like, whatever. Uh, well, now those those shots actually do damage. Ooh. So when you when you miss and shoot a building, you do damage to that building. And when you miss and hit a mech, friend or foe, it will do damage to that mech, friend or foe. That makes brawlers so, a lot more dangerous. Yeah. Uh, it also makes grouping for uh, sort of you, you kind of always wanted to keep previously you kind of always wanted to keep your mechs relatively close together especially if you were trying to sprint through an area that way you would have the most sort of defensive firepower of something pounced on you but now if that happens and you get hit by long-range artillery or just a lot of kind of spray weapons like rockets from an srm carrier or uh even some medium and light mechs that carry a lot of lasers you can wipe out your entire team's um uh, evasion pips because even if they you know it misses like they can do multiple points of evasion pip damage to multiple mechs and then you will take that stray shot damage if they get hit so I mean that applies to enemies too so if the enemy bunches up together you can exploit that or you know if you miss sometimes you'll still get an errant shot on an enemy mech but you have to pay a lot more attention to your positioning now. Now, is the Aaron Shot mechanic base game now, or is it just with the DLC? Yeah, no, it's base game. Okay, so um, it's, so, so it's sort of like the uh, City Skylines model, where uh, the base game gets an update and it, the DLC adds more to it. Yeah, the, the base game gets all of the AI improvements. They get the map and the map improvements, um, or the, I should say, like the the additional 50 planets. They don't get the urban stuff, but they still get all the planets on the map now. Um, they get a few other things too. Uh, they get the new mech variants for stuff that's already in the game. Like the urban mech gets a new variant. There's a new variant on the catapult. Um, and there's a couple other mech variants for stuff that was already in the game. So you get those. You just don't get the new mechs. And I think you get the new game mode. Uh, there's a new game mode, which is, what's it called? Attack Defense Missions. So they take, I, I've always said that I'm pretty sure what they did was they made one giant map for every biome and then cut it into squares. And this confirms that because what they do is they will take two or three squares that are in a line and put them together. And now you have one base on each side. And you're in charge of defending your base while also assaulting and destroying the enemy base. And these missions are bonkers. It sounds pretty simple, but they get three waves of reinforcements that if you take out the base early, you stop the, the waves of reinforcements. You can just sit it out and defend for all the waves of reinforcements and the initial starting enemies and then go over and destroy their base. 
but that is extremely difficult to do. I've done it that way once, and I don't want to do it again. It was only on like a two-skull difficulty mission, so it was mostly light and medium mechs that I was facing on the reinforcements. But at probably three skulls and up, when you start getting heavy reinforcements in the drops, that would be a nightmare. That might be a good way to farm particular parts, though. Yeah, oh yeah. I got eight mechs off of that. I went full salvage. So I got... 32 pieces of salvage with eight of them being salvage I got to choose. So I, I, I that's how I built my roster uh, to fill up my second six mech hangers um, on the Argo. Mm. But it was very difficult to do that. I had, I expended all of my ammunition for, for weapons I had that used ammo. I ran out of that way early in the battle. And then... Um, Basically was kiting them around and utilizing the, the base defenses that I had to help me wipe them out. But I still had one mech. One of my own mechs got killed. Pilot lived, but mech died. And uh, then all of the rest of them had missing limbs by the end of it. Tis but a flesh wound. But the I think the the better strategy is to go in as fast as you can, wipe out the base, and then mop up whatever's left. But that would be extremely difficult to do, to feel the two-pronged attack. Because you still only get four mechs. They still haven't upgraded the amount of mechs you can drop in. Is that on the uh, docket for the uh, well, the roadmap? Let's be perfectly honest here. I don't know. Because they, they initially said, no, this game is designed for four mechs. There's a limitation in the engine. We can only do four. And then modders have gone in and have increased it to eight. And then they've said, well, we'll look into it. After our next, our next uh, expansion, which is called like heavy hitters or something like that. So I don't know. I hope so. So what would the heavy hitters uh, expansion be? I don't know. I don't think they've released any details for it. Uh, it's called heavy metal, not heavy hitters. Ah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I'll look that up later. I don't think then unless they just dropped it, they don't have they hadn't had any information on it aside from the the name. So I'm but assuming then, it's going to be like you know all the heavy and uh, super heavy uh, uh, mechs that should be in the game but aren't, or trying to add more variants to it. Probably, I'm hoping for Solaris Gladiator stuff. That would be fun. Uh, hopefully, better than that last mission because that was such a uh, <laughs> letdown. Yeah. I think it would have been a lot more um, interesting if it was, you know, uh, you know, well, for one, the better AI, but also, you know, four on four with, you know, them in a decent mech because they were in King Crabs, weren't they? <laughs> and yeah. And rather shitty ones as well. But, um, <clears throat> let's see. There's a couple of other things. So they, they've added new vehicles, which only appear on the urban maps. Um, they're just, you know, tank, different tanks, essentially. They've added two new mechs. Um, one of those mechs has two variants. I know they added uh, the Axeman, Javelin. Right? Uh, the Axeman, or the Hatchetman was in the Flashpoint update. Oh, it was, oh, it was the other one, alright. Uh, yeah, in this one they added the Javelin, which is a light mech, which became immediately the best light mech in the game. There's two variants of it. One is a missile variant, and one is a laser variant. And it's basically like a, a Jenner, which can put, can effectively fit more weapons. 
It's a 30-ton light mech that has the same movement speed, or roughly the same movement speed, as the Jenner, which is the fastest mech in the game. Uh, it can equip six jump jets uh, and doesn't overheat if you use a more slightly more limited weapons configuration. Or you can dump those and have 6, 12, 18, 18 missile tubes if you do for go SRMs. Or you can do four medium lasers and two light lasers on it. I think I'm in and it love. Can have, it can have 650 points of armor on it, like maxed. It's a crazy good little mech. You know, it still gets trounced by heavy and assault mechs, but it can hold its ground against all light mechs and most of the medium mechs. Uh, and then there's the Raven, which I don't have a Raven yet. I don't know quite how the electronic counter system or countermeasures works in the game. Um, the Raven is an electronics warfare mech that is uh, sort of a crowd favorite among Battletech mech warrior people. Um, and I do know that it prevents target locking from in indirect fire weapons. So you can use that to sort of act as a shield for your own mechs against or the enemy can use it to shield from your indirect fire weapons so your long range missiles and i think it can be used to like give an accuracy boost to your guys as well sort of like a reverse electronic or a reverse sensor lock because you can help your guys instead of hindering the others but i'm not sure if it does anything outside of that like you know like i said i don't have one so i haven't got to use it yet but i mean it's a a fast light mech as well i believe the uh Raven's 35 tons. It's either 30 or 35 tons. But looks super cool. That's pretty much everything. Oh, there's been some... Actually, one other thing. There's been some UI. A lot of UI overhauls to make the game a lot easier to kind of read and play. Um, it's just easier to discern information on the battlefield and on your HUD. Things have been given a little bit better contrast, a little bit better coloring... All units now have a very clear icon next to them that is either your icon or whatever their sort of faction icon is that's very visible and easy to, to read and see. Some of the text is a little bit bigger. So just in general, uh, improved UI and usability through that UI. So, And that's also just for everybody. <laughs> that's not specifically to the Urban Warfare expansion uh, sorry i went to go look at the raven mech and it has a big nose it does have a big nose uh, especially the mech warrior online variant wow that's one thing i'm kind of looking forward to is the uh new mech warrior game coming out i hope it's actually good i hope it is too but if it's not i've still got battletech's play and play and play indeed so yeah, that's it for games we played this week, except for the Game Club game. Which, if you're ready to move on to that, we can do so. Yeah, I believe so. Alrighty. For any listeners who this is your first Game Club, uh, Rage and I often have very different tastes in games. Although, you might not know that from this episode. <laughs> um, but we tend to play different games, and even if we play the same game, we play them at different times. See, Astro This is a way for us... Indeed. This is a way for us to play the same game at the same time and allow the audience members to get in on it as well. So we encourage audience members to send in 
any uh, thoughts they have on the game that we play, any feedback, and things like that. We did not receive any for this month, and that's okay. Um, the game that we had for this month was Enter the Gungeon, which is a roguelite, top-down, twin-stick, shooter-esque Bullet hell. game. Bullet hell. Made by the, the crazy folks over at Devolver Digital. Yeah, I think this is our first Devolver uh, game that we've had for... Well, Devolver published, I guess I should say. Because Tile Troll is the actual developers. Uh, but the first time we've had Devolver uh, in the game club. So, how do we want to handle this? Because I think this is going to come down to more mechanics-based. Because neither of us exactly got far in the game. <laughs> The, yeah, the, I, I played it for probably eight hours. I'm not super great at this type of game, and I don't typically like this type of game. But Enter the Gungeon, because of its specific sort of uh, artistic theme, we'll say, uh, with everything, pretty much everything being gun-themed, almost all of the enemies are themed around guns or bullets in some way. Most of the sort of lore in the game is, is gun-themed in one way or another. I thought that was neat. And that was enough to draw me in. Um, what sort of experience do you have with games like this? I know you've played Binding of yeah, Isaac played, a lot. Yeah, I've played the two Binding of Isaacs. I've played uh, Mojo Rampage a bit. I've played some proper rogue uh, uh, rogue lights and uh, or rogue like I could I should say. So I've had a bit of experience in the genre. I'm not great with bullet hell, and that's where I you know. I've kind of fell apart with this one is that uh, the game could get rather crazy rather quickly where uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to kind of put this in the binding of Isaac subcategory of roguelite because it's the same general idea of a twin stick shooter with uh, the dungeon being chunk based uh, generation. So you're uh, going into a dungeon and each room is essentially a like a card out of a deck, and they're all kind of just shuffled together and put together, and that's your map for that dungeon. And this gets a lot crazier than Binding of Isaac ever did, Re- really quickly. Binding of Isaac, towards like, the end of its development cycle, uh, in the last couple of expansions, started to stray more and more to the bullet hell territory, but that was limited to bosses. And this, pretty much anything can be bullet hell. Which is fun. I mean, but it's also made it so that I didn't get as far as I would have liked. I was getting to the third uh, level every so often. Usually getting to the second level, but it also really depended on what you get. Because this is a roguelite, so it's random generation and also random loot. So... Uh, sometimes I would just have bad luck and I would get you know, just a couple of passive items on the first floor and go into the boss fight with just the starter weapon, which has infinite ammo, but is usually some shade of terrible. Either very short range or effective range, I should say, or very low accuracy, which is something that's interesting is that most of the this type of uh, roguelite is very precision uh, shooter. This is not to some degree. All the guns have a accuracy, a mechanic about them. 
and the starter guns, with the exception of the Marines, are highly inaccurate to either by just being a spread shot, a shotgun, or just having essentially a cone of fire like the pilot's uh, uh, trusty blaster. Yeah, the uh, the hunter's crossbow yeah, the, is yeah, the hunter, accurate. But the, that is also balanced out by having an, ex, an extremely long charge time. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a crossbow. So one shot, then you have to reload. Although it is the most powerful of the starting weapons, um, it can kill the standard bullet enemies with one shot on the first floor. And... Uh, has a hell of a lot of knockback as well, so you're able to also utilize that because there's bottomless pits, there's various traps, there's all sorts of crazy shit going on. Yeah. But, you know, if, um, if you've followed Devolver Digital at all, you know crazy is kind of their thing. Yeah. So, just real quick, my experience with this type of game, like, this is the first one of these I've played... Um, you know, I say these, like, thinking of, like, Binding of Isaac, this, there's probably some others that I'm not aware of, so, I've played plenty of twin-stick shooters in the more classic sense, like Gun Bros and both of the Halo Spartan games, Spartan Assault and Spartan Strike, and then bunches of others. Yeah, but the Um, difference between that and this is that those are more pattern-based, and you could eventually learn it. This is more reflex-based, and for us old men, that starts to get tough. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I am I was decent at it. I could get past the first floor just about every time, I was having, even if I didn't get... I was having some trouble if I was getting very bad weapons, but it also... Uh, this game also would get into my head at times, where I would get frustrated with it just because I was getting nothing. And then I would just put it down and go play Forza. <laughs> Or I uh, go play yeah. Master Deer or something. And uh, even if I didn't get good weapons, I could generally get past the first floor, even with the starters. the The rogue, I really struggled with the rogue because the rogue and the marine both only have the sidearm, but the rogue is less accurate than the marine. Um, and then with the convict and the hunter, they each have a pretty good secondary weapon. The convict has got a shotgun, so even though yeah, the it's convict, shorter uh, range, was the one I had the most uh, consistent. Uh, time with where i would uh depending on the guns i had uh i found i could dive in with the convict get a good shot with the shotgun and then quickly swap to the uh, pistol as i retreated yeah the convict also had the molotov cocktail which could really help with some of the tougher enemies you might fight on the first or second floor if you do have poor weapons because you could drop that on them and Lots of the times they'd sit there or they wouldn't move very yeah, far. Unfortunately, so if they up. flew, you were in trouble because that would be immune. Yeah. And uh, one of the bosses uh, flies, the Bullet King. Yeah, the Bullet King flies. But the bird <laughs> doesn't fly. I mean, he flies up, but he stands on the ground with his big minigun. So. Yeah, the bird is... Uh, well, I think that's something that we should... Uh, talk about right now is just the humor of the game because this game does not take itself seriously <laughs> no so you know it uh, doesn't take itself seriously in a wonderful yeah, way you have the bullet king who uh sits on uh essentially the uh the throne of guns uh, almost yeah you know, like the uh, sw- uh the sword throne from uh game of thrones 
uh, you have uh, the twins, which are essentially just two very big bullets uh, that uh, have shades and shoot at you. They were kind of the most yep. boring ones, but uh, they also... The trigger yeah, twins. the trigger twins. I was blanking on the name, if you pardon the term phrase there. And then you have uh, the bird. And I'm... The Gatling Gull. The Gatling Gull. I've got the wiki open just so I can oh, see I, all their I, names. I didn't have the boss page open, but... Yeah, the Gatling Gull flies in, uh, lands, flexes, bursts his uh, uh, chest feathers off except for you know under his armpits and he's just ripped to hell picks up a gatling gun and just starts shooting at you mm-hmm. although he's in my opinion the easiest of the first floor bosses it also depends on the room because the gatling doll could have a room that has a lot of pillars that gives you a lot of coverage uh, i never got a room that had pillars oh, i always got one that had plants and the plants would give you cover until they were all destroyed. See, I I got several runs where the Gatling Gull was in essentially a room of pillars, so you would be able to uh, go like the, the like that one scene in the Matrix in the lobby and hide behind the pillar. Yeah. Uh, the Bullet King is typically a wide open area, and so are the Trigger Twins. Yeah, they're all, everything is a reference to something too, because oh, the yeah. Bullet King. Is Game of Thrones because his throne is made of guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what Gatling Gull is a reference to, unless it's just like silly, just like uh, being, you know crazy. Let's see. This boss is a reference to Vulcan Raven from the Metal Gear series. Oh, okay. Uh, both are Actually, large, sense. muscular, Gatling and Gull. weird. A Vulcan cannon. Mm-hmm. And also the uh, Gatling Gulls. Uh, Death mimics that of uh, uh, Vulcan Raven, both uh, being consumed by ravens after their demise. So the second floor, I only got one boss. I got past the second floor several times, but every time I got the Beholster, which is a reference to the Beholder from Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I got, I fought all three. I never got the Amaconda. I never was able to beat it. I got close to it, but I was able to beat the both the Beholster and the Gorgon. And mm-hmm. I never got to fight the third t- uh, set because I would always uh, end up uh, uh, dying at some point. But you have the Treadnought, which is a, a bullet and a tank. Mm-hmm. There's the Mind Flayer, which is a reference to the Illithids, also known as the Mind Flayers from Dungeons and & Dragons. And then Cannon Balrog. <laughs> Or Cannon Balrog, I guess is how you would say that. Yeah, which is the Balrog from the Lord of the Rings. But as a cannonball. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't get to the fourth floor. I, I never made it past the third floor. Yeah, which... Uh, the It goes down a hell of a long ways, doesn't it? And that's not even yeah. including the past, which uh, gets sort of into the lore of the game, where a bullet came down onto this unbeatable fortress... And destroyed it, and was rebuilt into the gungeon. And within the bowels of the gungeon is a gun that, oh, which hence the term uh, gungeon, right? Well, that and all yeah. the bullets and guns and stuff that is able to kill the past. <clears throat> and all the uh, gungeoneers are here to essentially forget their past, for lack of a better term. There. Uh, something ha- happened in all their lives, which was traumatic, that they want to try to just forget it or kill it. 
which, uh, you know, is, uh, well, I'm probably uh, looking into it too much, just saying forget it. They probably mean literally kill their past. <laughs> yeah, I would say that it would be literally, in, in this, it would be literally kill their past in some, some way. But... But there's also uh, a fair amount of lore in a comic and in the Ammonomicon, which is the book that you have that tells you what's going on with your uh, stuff, which is kind of a rarity in this game, where typically these are wiki games where you get something and you pick it up and then you look it up to see what you just got. Or if you are lucky enough that it's a game that has a item tag on it, you go look it up before you pick it up because you could be screwed otherwise. This, it's not that bad about that. And that's something that I really like about this is that you're encouraged to uh, pick up things and uh, uh, mess around with them and you're not punished that often. There are a few guns that do uh, odd things, but you could typically drop them. The passives uh, can be a bit of a pain at times. But I never ran into anything that was a run killer like I did in Bonnie of Isaac. And also the Ammonomicon would give you a basic idea of what's going on with it. It wouldn't tell you everything about the weapon, but it would give you a good idea. And that's uh, before you yeah. even get into synergies, which is something that I don't see too often in this type of game. Where if you get two weapons that kind of go together they combine into a synergy so, or two items, I guess I should say, because it doesn't necessarily mean two item or two guns, I should say. For example, let's just go over to the synergies page because I didn't have that open. Um, uh, if you have the M one night, uh, I'm sorry, M one nine eleven and an orange, it's pulp gungeon, a copy of the, uh, M uh, one nine eleven orbits the player and fires wherever the player fires. See, pulp uh, gungeon. Yeah. yeah. Or nice. Let's see. What's another good one on here? One fish, two fish have a barrel and the helix bullets. Uh, when shot, the barrel uh fires a normal blue fish, and a red fish that sets the enemies on fire. See. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <laughs> blue fish. Nice. Uh, but I, I kind of want to compare this a little bit to Borderlands. Because that's also you know very reference heavy. But that's more memes where this is more references. And I got really thinking about it. And uh, kind of uh, uh, came down to where it's how old something gets very quickly with Borderlands to me, where something that, you know, it, yes, the reference is there, but it's not a defining mechanic. It's not, it's not the joke. It adds to the joke. So the fact that the Mega Dowser is a super soaker, yes, that's funny, but if I didn't know it was that particular model of super soaker, having a giant water gun that you're shooting everybody with is still funny. You know, yeah. I I like I like that there's a mix of real <laughs> weapons and then silly weapons too. Like there's the M1911, <laughs> the the Makarov, um, the Colt. There's a couple models of the Colt. 
Um, there's kind of your standard. You got a sawed-off shotgun. Uh, there's a Mauser. Um, there's a flare gun, which the flare gun is fun. It, it's pretty weak, but it sets enemies on fire, which is helpful against bosses. <clears throat> but then there's some silly stuff. Like the trash cannon. Like there's, yeah, the trash, or the bubble blaster, which is a frog that shoots bubbles. Uh, I got a, the- an elephant gun. I got the lowercase r. the gun r. actually shoots elephants. Did you ever get the lowercase r? I didn't r? get the lowercase r. Oh, I saw it in the store, but I didn't uh, get it. You know what it does? What? Uh, whenever you shoot it, it- uh, there's somebody that says a bullet and it spells out the word bullet and shoots it at the person. Nice. And, uh, and um, it spells out all the, uh, sound effects as well. Like blam, 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 <laughs> whatever something gets hit. And it has, uh, a couple of uh, synergies. Like if you have that in the bracket key, it's called hacker. <laughs> nice. Uh, and I just um, I just love going through the uh, synergies. Here's an, uh, another one: uh, the AWP or a Cypress uh, rifle and a scope. It uh, the synergy name is 360 Yes Scope. <laughs> Spinning in yeah, uh, uh, 360 degrees uh, provides a three second buff uh, that gives the player the next shot 1.5 percent damage multiplier. The buff stacks if the player spins multiple times. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. There's, let's see. Uh, the D-pad. One of the best guns that I found that worked for me. Like, there's nothing like fancy or special about this, but it was the Hegemony Carbine. Oh, I got that. That, that wasn't I'm, bad. No, that was a very good, just a solid gun that didn't like have anything like weird or wacky to it. It was just a good, strong machine gun. It does have a couple uh, interesting synergies. Like, if you got the Galactic War Battle, it uh, made it so it would fire triple shots. Oh, nice. And if you got uh, a Ruby Bracelet, a uh, Kaga Battle, or a Mimic Tooth Bracelet, uh, it uh, the shots would light enemies on fire and bounce. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best one I got was the... Was it the Flame Fist or Fire Fist? Uh Sorry, I'm trying to find it on here. The best one uh, that well, I got. Well, well, I'm looking. The, for- well, the interesting thing about it was that it was one that uh, every shot it rolled a uh, dice behind the scene, and depending on the outcome, it would change the damage of it, and also change the size of it of the uh, shot. Mm-hmm. So. If you, you got really lucky, oh, and it'll also set on enemies on fire because, of course, right? Of course. Uh, the directional pad was also an interesting one. It would shoot uh, in four directions, but if you did the Hawukin, uh move uh, with the inputs, it would actually start shooting fireballs for a couple seconds. Nice. The The beehive was probably the best one that I got that I liked. It, it shoots bees <laughs> that home in on enemies, and they last for not, I'm I'm ten fifteen seconds, and they deal constant damage. Yeah, you could st- like like bosses had a limit for how much damage they could take at a time, um, so you couldn't like stack it up like crazy, but you could stack it up on bosses or other hard enemies that you would find, and they could they could clear out big chunks of the room. Uh, the gamma ray was also a pretty good one for that. 
it would uh, uh, poison an enemy for a short amount of time. It was a beam weapon uh, that had a large amount of uh, ammo pool. Yeah. And, of course, it's uh, called Bean Green. <laughs> because, of course, it is, right? Of course. Because Incredible I got Hulk. another one I really liked. Yeah. I got another one I liked called the Anvil- Anvilian, and it fires anvils. <laughs> <laughs> Which were very powerful, and then they would knock enemies back. Yeah, I'm just uh, kind of scrolling through here, seeing if there's any other ones. I mean, there's... Um, a boxing glove, <clears throat> pistol, honcho. Nice. Um, oh, here's one that I liked. It wasn't very effective for me uh, because it just filled the screen with bullets. But it's called the bullet or bullet. Care to guess what that does? Um, shoots shoots bullets. You would be wrong. Does it take control of all the bullets on the screen? No. Okay, yeah, I get you're, it. You're overthinking it. It shoots guns, it shoots bullets. <laughs> okay. There was one that I got that I can't find in here on this list. I, I'm sure it's here somewhere, but it was some kind of laser, and it fired a giant square of laser that went extremely slowly. I think it was a reference to an old, like, corridor digital video where they, like, made a laser that shot, and it was really slow, but it destroyed everything. That it touched. And uh, it, the like, quad this laser? laser's like. Maybe? Uh, it looks but like it, it's a reference to Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Well, if if it's the right gun, like it shoots a giant laser, like a giant uh, square fires, laser uh, beam. The quad laser is a gun that fires a large, slow laser bullet. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So it, it, it kills, like, anything. That it hits in one hit, except for bosses. Yeah, it has a but it moves extremely slowly, and it has a low ammo pool. And that's the that's the other uh, thing is that you're given a lot of guns, but uh, in uh, you typically want to hold on to a couple of them, but you have limited ammo with everything, and a lot of it is ammo management and trying to figure out okay, which guns do I want to prioritize if I get an ammo uh, drop. Because they could drop from enemies, and uh, or you can find them in the shops. Uh, oh, there's another one, the t-shirt cannon that was hilarious. I didn't get that one. Well, it's a reference to the Simpsons. Uh, it has an extreme uh, uh, amount of knockback on it. Um, I never really worried about the ammo count, honestly, because uh, I was so weapon. likely to just die. That I was like, well, I'm just going to make the best of this gun while I've got it. It, it depended on the weapon, because some of them are very low on ammo. Matter of fact, I think some of them only have 20 ammo total. Let's see, max capacity. Ooh, there's one that only has a single shot. <laughs> All right, uh, the makeshift cannon. You only get one shot. I'm, I'm going to guess that's a Star Trek reference. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> that works. Uh, I'm guessing referencing the episode with Kirk where he shoots the... What's the lizard guy? Yeah. With, the, like, the gun he makes out of, like, some some bamboo mm-hmm. and some, like, coal he finds just on the surface of that planet. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, uh, it's in the show Arena, where he makes a weapon out of bamboo, a hand-mixed black powder, diamonds, and uh, vines. Yeah. A makeshift uh, weapon filled with gunpowder and shrapnel. Immensely powerful, but it can only be uh, fired once. And it looks like there's quite a number of synergies that uh, work with it. Not name synergies, but things like if you have this particular item, it would refill you. Or if you have uh, this particular thing, there's a chance that it could uh, restock eventually. But then there's uh, really weird uh, uh, shit like a banana. As in, it fires explosive bananas. Is that a re- uh, Shit, what was that really terrible movie? But the... When you die, you become cops. In the afterlife, if you were a cop. Well... Ah, whatever. One of them had a banana for a gun. If When you, like, looked at them in the real world. Ah, uh, well, this uh, says the gun is likely a reference to the game Gorillas, itself referenced uh, with a weapon of the same name uh, from Worms. Looks gotcha. like it's like uh, it's an MS DOS game, so I never I never heard of that one. But uh, that's the thing is that uh, even though I don't know the reference, it's still funny. Yeah, and that's not even going into the passives, uh, which you know there's a whole other thing. Where, you know, you get bionic legs. There's the orange that we mentioned before. Um, the drill, which, if used on a locked chest, it forces the player to fight uh, two waves of enemies and uh, unlocks the chest if they survive. Uh, used, uh, uh, if used on a locked door, it opens it for free. Gee, a, a drill that takes a while to open up a locked chest. I wonder what that is a reference to. I wonder. But still, you know, even if you didn't get the reference, it's humorous, right? Yeah, and and it still works, too. And that's where the difference between this and Borderlands is, where if you don't get a particular meme reference, the joke falls flat. Uh, Did you unlock any of the Gungeoneers, aside from the starting ones? I didn't unlock any Gungeoneers. I didn't unlock a few NPCs, though. Yeah, I got several NPCs. I did not get uh, the Gungeoneers are actually few and far between. It's kind of weird because the game is kind of inverse of what you usually get with these. Because with Binding of Isaac, it's kind of trickle feeds you the new items, but it gives you new player uh, playable characters fairly decently quick. I mean, it's not yeah okay. Well, you uh, did two runs. Here's a new uh, play, uh, new playable class essentially, but. This game only has three unlockables, uh, as far as I could tell, and it's very difficult to unlock any of them. It's kind of a weird uh, juxtaposition of uh, what you usually get with these games, which isn't a terrible thing, because it does make it so that the individual runs are a lot more interesting, and that's not even getting into the credit system that they have for the uh, in-between-run progression, where... Every time you kill a boss, you get credits that could be, uh, well, it's not just killing the boss. There's some other particular item or ways to do it, but you could use those in the breach, the opening area, to uh, unlock new items that gets essentially thrown into the uh, gungeon. Uh, they treat the gungeon as a museum, essentially, of all the guns. So, in yeah. order to stock the gungeon, they just 
grab a new gun and throw it in. Uh, probably the thing that I disliked about it the most is how it hit its secret rooms. Typically in this type of game, uh, you uh, have uh, you know, either secret rooms or secret paths or uh, sideways, or, or I should say alternate routes. They're all alternate routes in the game, and it requires two keys to be able to get into, which I never had that many to spend. And to get the secret rooms, you had to shoot a uh, essentially where the entrance was uh, to reveal it, uh, and it would uh, crack the wall. Then you'd have to use a blank in order to crack it open, or you could just use a blank to, uh, and you know get lucky. But the uh, yeah. thing about this that it took me quite a while to understand, and I still was never able to routinely find the secret rooms in every other game of this type the secret rooms are usually towards the center of the room so it would match up with how the overall dungeon uh, would uh, configuration and this all the rooms have multiple slots on them essentially and the secret room can latch onto one of those instead of a central location so it's I think eventually, given enough time, I would be able to figure it out or figure out you know, each room's uh, door locations uh, to be able to just check. And also the starting gun and beam weapons cannot reveal the uh, secret entrance. Um, and I'm not, oh, I didn't know beam weapons didn't. I knew starting guns didn't. I'm, uh, I'm I not 100% weapons. sure on beam weapons, but I never found uh, them with a beam weapon and I would sweep all the rooms. Uh, well, all the rooms that it was possible because, yeah, uh, there's not enough room there for a secret room to wedge in between two rooms. No need to check that side of the room, right? There are ways to be able to find them without just cracking open the uh, walls and getting lucky. Uh, there's a item called a brick of money that essentially uh, causes one of the bricks of the gungeon itself to become a snitch. It would point to where the entrance of the secret room is, so you can just go over and uh, crack it open. And it really depends on what you get inside, because sometimes there would be a mimic, which was it always interesting. Mimics are a pain in the ass, and it seemed like every time I rushed to get the chest, it would be a mimic. But if I held back and checked it, it wouldn't. There's an item you can get called, or a passive, maybe, that's friend of mimics, uh, the and mimic then they don't necklace. attack you. Yeah. Yeah, see, I never had that. I mean, I never found any secret rooms. Eight hours of play, I didn't find a single secret room. I only found Granted, I gave up looking after a while, because I was like, I'm just wasting ammo or blanks to look for these rooms. Fuck it. I'll just go without them. Yeah. And so I did. Yeah, it really depended on the room itself, because sometimes I would just get health, which, you know, sometimes I need it, because... This is one of those games that it, uh, things could snowball very quickly. You know, it could be, okay, I'm going good. I'm going good. Oh, shit, I got hit. Oh, damn it, I got hit again. Uh, to, uh, I got a couple guns uh, a couple times, but it's not, you know, amazing. Uh, but I'm trying to think of what else. Um, uh, Keys, well, it's always a very short uh, resource for me. 
Seems like I never had enough uh, keys. Yeah. Uh, there were some tre- chests that you could shoot open and it was okay. Most of the time, whenever you blew up chests, though, you just got junk. Uh, that, that was just a chance. Uh, a chance roll. Oh. So if uh, you didn't have keys, you could uh, crack them open. And you know, still have a chance of getting something at least. But it was like a, I think it's a 50 or 40, 60 chance or 50, 50 chance. And I'm not sure if it depends on the tier of chest because this, uh, this is also another thing that is kind of a departure from the, uh, the norm of this genre is that there's tiers of chests. So usually uh, like Binding of Isaac is probably a good baseline for this. Uh, you have your golden chest, then you may have a red chest that does something different. Like it has a completely different item set, or it, or there's cursed chests that cost health to open, that sort of thing. This, uh, it's different tiers of chests, and each one has a greater chance to, to give you a better gun. So, like, getting a golden chest for... Uh, actually, I need to go look up exactly what they are. Um, objects. Um, where's the chests on here? Oh, there's chests. Okay, so getting a brown chest gives you a, a high chance of a crappy weapon, essentially a wooden chest. Blue chest would give you a better uh, chance of a, a gun. Green chest, even better. Red chest uh, has a high chance of an A-class gun. Black chest is an S-class gun. Pretty much just a, you know, a boss killer. And there's rainbow chests, which are an oddity. Where rainbow chests have a 0.333 chance of uh, replacing a regular chance. Chests uh, can be found upon clearing a room. Have a... 0.001% chance to become a rainbow chance chest in addition to the normal 0.333 chance rainbow chests also have a chance to disguise themselves as a brown chest upon revealing themselves once open broken or shot with a weapon that leaves a water slash goop uh, rainbow chests are never locked however they can be locked when they appear as a brown chest rainbow chests contain 8 Items and or guns. So, yeah. You can see why rainbow chests are good, huh? Yeah. But extremely rare. I never saw one. Best I saw was a couple of black chests. And they gave some amazing guns. And it was just a lot of fun uh, whenever you know, getting that chest. There's also a chance that the chest could be uh, have a fuselet on it. <laughs> So, typically, if you run into a chest and you don't have a key, and you're not playing the pilot that has a, uh, a, a an active item that you have a chance to just pick the lock, uh, then that's actually a 50-50 chance as well. You could go get a key and come back. But with a chest that's on a fuse, you have a time limit, and if the fuse gets to the chest, it blows up and you get nothing. Or junk, one of the two, I can't remember which I actually didn't run into any fuse chests uh, in this uh, uh, game club play time. Did you? Yeah, I ran into a few. If I had a key, I would open them. If I didn't, I would just shoot the chest and see if I got lucky. If I got anything out of it, yeah. 
I mean, why, uh, why not, right? Yeah. Um, I mostly got um, brown, blue, and green chests. I found a black chest once. I can't remember if I found a red chest or not. I don't think so. I definitely didn't find a rainbow chest. Yeah, let's see. Um, on floor one of the D class, the uh, brown chest is a forty-two percent chance to get a black chest is two point five percent chance. But as you go down the floors, uh, the crappy chests become less common and the good chests become more common. So on like the third floor where we kind of maxed out, it becomes a 10% chance of a brown chest, a 22% chance of a blue, a 50% chance of green, 12.5% of red, and 5.5% chance of black. So, you know, it, if you could get over the hump, essentially, uh, it becomes more and more powerful. But at the same time, you know, you're facing crazier and crazier stuff. Yeah. And there were always at least two chests or no, at least one chest per floor, usually two. And then you could find another one is like a random drop from enemies sometimes. Yeah, that's the chance of just getting a chest. And uh, also, sometimes the secret room would have them. Sometimes they wouldn't. But that's also, you know, uh, luck of the draw. I mean, even if I got the map, it was, you know, sometimes it was a little hard to tell exactly where to look. And this isn't like Binding of Isaac where you have a lot of bombs to go check. In order to open up the secret room, you had to use blanks, which blanks are also a very powerful item to use in battle. It destroys all the bullets on, well, actually in the room. And for a short time thereafter, mm-hmm. as well as doing a and extreme it does knockback. a small amount of damage, and and then yeah, knockback. So yeah, kind of want to hold on to blanks, and then there's other things that you could do. Like uh, uh, occasionally you'd see a a key enemy run away from you if you're able to go kill it in time. You you're given a key. Uh, there's uh, there was another one that's a ammo drop, isn't it? That's the same idea. It goes and runs away. Yeah, there's one for health, too. I don't think I ever saw the health one. Or if I did, I just missed it. Um, You can bank health. Yeah, if you're uh, full health. This didn't health. happen to me, but a couple of times. But yeah, if you're full health and an enemy drops a health bullet, um, which I like that. They use two bullets that form a yeah. heart to make up your, your health. Um, But it would bank it into like a little... I, a dispenser? I don't know, like a... Yeah, some kind of dispenser, and then you could grab it before you went down the elevator to the next floor. Or he's also in the uh, shop. The item shop. But, yeah, I can't think of any other specific mechanics to really talk about. Is there anything, really, without maybe getting into, like, the super nitty-gritty that we've missed? Uh, Maybe talking about just play styles, because... Uh, the different Gungeoneers definitely uh, resorted to different play styles. Uh, the Marine is able to do a lot more long-distance damage just because of his passive, uh, his training passive. Yeah, he has an accuracy bonus. Uh, accuracy and reload. So, uh, uh, there's a few guns that, or a few passives that actually uh, go off on reload. 
So a couple times I had them with the Marine. I would shoot a couple bullets and then I'd purposely reload to fire them. And it made him a lot less vulnerable during that time. And he also starts off with armor. Which is a mechanic that we haven't talked about. It's a, a pretty basic mechanic for this genre though. Where you have replenishable health but you also have armor that goes away after you take damage. But also the armor in this game fires off the blank effect. So it'll destroy bullets around you for a short time. And we never actually talked yeah. about dodge rolling did we? No, you can dodge roll, which gives you a couple of things. It gives you some uh, few invisibility or invincibility, not invisible invincibility frames, and then it's also a way to jump over like pits or obstacles in the room. Like you can kick over tables and stuff to use as temporary cover. They'll get destroyed. You can use the dodge roll to to jump over the over them. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, pretty. I'm sorry. I'm still looking at items. Uh. Here's one that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, beat five bosses without taking damage in a, a single run. And it unlocks the super hot watch. Nice. As long as you're standing still, time moves extremely slowly. I was just closing out. Yeah, uh, that would be handy. I was just closing out uh, tabs and I saw that. Yeah, that would be extremely useful. But at the same time, it's a pain in the ass to get because... Killing five bosses without taking damage in a single run. Yeah, that would that sounds impossible. I'm sure people have done it, oh, but yeah. uh, that sounds impossible to me. Yeah, impossible for us. I think that's the uh, thing to say. Because we're old and our reflexes are shit. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, I like... I, I like to enter the yeah, dungeon I'm overall. I'm terrible at it, but I still had a lot of fun with it because I think mostly because it has a lot of humor about itself and it, well, it has a lot of content unlocked from the very beginning. There are unlockables uh, using the credits from the different uh, sources of them to unlock various things in different shops that you eventually unlock. But... It's not like Binding of Isaac where I have just a handful of items at the very start and I slowly unlock and fill out the uh, the drop loot or the drop tables. Yeah. I don't know if I'll come back and play it anymore. Maybe. And that's not because it's a bad game. But, you know, I've played it. I enjoyed it. I think I've gotten most of what I can out of it. And I just don't know if I'll come back to it. I wish it had co-op that was not... Local only. Local only, but alas, it does not. Well, I imagine that's probably because, you know, it's such Twitch-based, uh, Twitch you know? Yeah. Maybe when they have Enter the Gungeon 2, right? Yep. We could buy the Enter the Gungeon arcade cabinet, although that would be even more <laughs> local co-op. But that would still be cool. But yeah, I think... I think that does it for this month's game yeah, club. Yeah, uh, very mechanic based, just because a lot of the lore is kind of hidden behind a, a lot deeper uh, reading of the uh, the Amanomicon, uh the uh, uh, official prequel uh, comic, and some intuition based on a few things. But there is a lot of lore here, and that's not even getting into all the various NBCs because there's. 
a lot that you eventually unlock just by well some of them you just find locked in a cell others you do certain things uh like i got old red did you be him uh, I don't think so. I already closed the wiki page. Uh, with he's all that the bullet. Uh, he's an NPC that uh, sets up secondary shops in the dungeon. Uh, but he's blonde, so he thinks you're a bullet as well, or nearly blonde. And he's also blue, so he's not even red. I'm trying to think of what? what else I got. I got oxen cadence, which uh. Uh, set up a shop in the breach, the opening area. The, yep. That are, I think they're the primary unlock uh, for new guns and items in the in the dungeon. Uh, did you ever run into Winchester? Um, is that the old guy? Uh, the shooting range. Yeah. yeah I only got I to ran into him. I only got to do I got it the once. King. I got the king and his. I don't know, the, his squire or whatever. He's not called his squire. He's called something else. But he's basically his squire. Uh, the gunsling king guys. and manservants. Yeah. Yeah, I ran into him. Got the guy who worked on the elevator, whatever his name is. The drunk guy. Oh, the tinkerer. That's the guy that uh, uh, worked on the elevator. Let's see, drunk guy, but. He like sits beside the the entrance and he's like drinking all the time, and you if you stop and talk to him like every time before you start a run, he'll eventually start telling you stories about just like it's just lore stuff. Mm-hmm. He tells you some stories about like some of the bosses and some of the other gungeoneers, things like that. Yeah, there's the ledge goblin <laughs> uh, that you sometimes have to get rescue. Uh, there's the Lost Adventurer, who is definitely not Link. So, yeah, there's a lot here to unlock, but it also gives you a lot of content from the very beginning. Yeah. So, good game overall. Yeah. Can definitely enjoy it without the, the lore stuff, but the lore stuff adds to it. Yeah, and I would say you could uh, someone enjoy it if you're even terrible at Bullet Hell, but... It definitely helps if you aren't old and you have reflexes. Or you just hop yourself up on caffeine. (laughs) So, just a quick reminder, because we've mentioned this a couple times at this point, but the Game Club for July is going to be Final Fantasy Tactics, the PS1 version. We plan on playing that using an emulator. Yeah, back to the Uh, emulation station. Yeah. However, if you happen to have an original copy and a PS1 or a PS2 to play it on, by all means, knock yourself out doing that too. Uh, should we go ahead and announce August as well and try to keep two months ahead? And probably should uh, sure. do it on Discord as well, you know, say what our actual game club is and what's coming up. So our August game club is a bit of an interesting one. We're diving into the Xbox Game Pass, uh, for PC that is, and we pick something out of there and it's one that was recently on the discovery queue void bastards hey we're back into the roguelites <laughs> only this time except this time first person yeah, first shooter. person shooter so we'll see how we do uh, uh with a change of perspective and well subgenres 
Because I don't think this is going to be as bullet helly. I hope. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Yeah, in August. Um. Yeah. So, to the news. Woohoo! Oh wait, I just our saw the first one. Never mind. I take it back. Yeah, our first news topic of the night. EA says they're not loot boxes; they're surprise mechanics, and they're quite ethical. Yeah, um, EA. Just because you could say that you're ethical doesn't make you ethical. Yeah, I can say lots of things, but that doesn't make me rich. Or muscular. Or attractive in a conventional sense. Or taller. I can say all those things, but it doesn't make them true. Just like you saying this doesn't make it true. I guess technically surprise mechanics... Is true because it is a game mechanic. I don't that don't take don't say surprise, surprise mechanics, but too, it's not ethical. Don't say surprise mechanic too often, otherwise Jim Sterling may show up. Yeah, that was funny. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, he created a new character already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, EA recently was in um, was it a hearing or just part of an investigation? Like they were testifying i don't quite understand the sort of legal ramification of this but it's part of some ongoing investigations that various countries are doing into the loot boxes or gambling uh let's see it was in response to questions from the scottish national party mp uh in an oral evidence session with the uk parliament's digital culture media and sport committee so it was a committee meeting try, uh, exploring loot boxes, but they but they weren't loot boxes. So they closed the uh, council, and you know everybody went home for tea. See, EA, if you just say something, it doesn't make it true. Exactly. If it did, but then yeah, the U.S. political scene would be a lot better off, or worse. I can't decide which. <laughs> Sorry, but. There's there's plenty of video and articles or well YouTube videos and stuff that talk about this that have the actual statements that they're making and it sounds worse than you think it does to listen to someone say it out loud but I mean they're essentially coming back to this argument that hey this stuff is not gambling and it's not bad Sort of, uh, this is like the start of a talking point. There's been things that have been said since well, this then. this is more... I can't remember what his... I would say this is more trying to rebrand it, trying to get away from loot boxes because this term has been tainted. And because we've talked about how the law has to be very laser-guided, otherwise, you know, you get a, a collateral damage or a straight shot if you're in Battletech. Uh, you may be able to try to weasel out of certain regulation just by calling it something else if the law is set to deal with loot box instead of a loot box-like mechanic. So that's I think that's part of it, actually. That's a huge part of it. It's rebranding from a legal standpoint, rebranding from a PR standpoint. You know, I, I can't... I have no idea what the, you know, specific exact percentages are. I'm not sure there's a way to know that for sure, but it seems like more and more and more, even like your sort of standard outlets that have been 
you know, on the fence or maybe more in these companies' corners about loot boxes uh, are starting to be like, yeah, this loot box bullshit is like gone far enough, right, guys? Like, we're done with this, right, guys? And I, I think it's starting to get away from these AAA developers and they're they're rebranding. Although it's interesting because like this goes even uh, further, like with them contradicting themselves. I think it was yesterday. It might have been today. And I think he was their CFO or CEO or like he's, you know, one of those alphabet soup positions at EA was doing an interview uh, and he was asked about, you know, loot boxes and stuff. And he was like, oh, no, our uh, surprise mechanics are definitely not exploitative. And if it was found that they were, we would absolutely comply immediately with government, any governmental regulation. But they have uh, not complied already with government regulation in what was it belgium so it's like okay sure now you're just like lying telling on the uh docket just because uh the interview is all just corporate talk and just impossible to follow i I, th- I think yeah, I, most of it's. Yeah, I think it was Jim Sterling or someone that uh, did a video on it that I sat there and listened to it, and I couldn't follow it with uh, yeah, a, uh, someone trying to guide me, and the, and the person trying to guide me got confused as well, and then suddenly we ended up on the peak of Mount Everest, and I don't know how that happened, or I may have just been watching uh, last week tonight. I don't know. As the, it was those surprise mechanics. <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of funny that they mentioned Kinder Eggs because uh, my local grocery store does a weekly giveaway, and it just happened to be this week they gave away. Well, it wasn't Kinder Egg; it was Kinder Joy because Kinder Eggs are actually illegal in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because when I opened it, um, there wasn't a big slot machine. A bunch of fireworks didn't go off. It was a enclosed experience and there wasn't a bunch of microtransactions tied to you know having a chance of getting a different bird out of my kinder joy egg kind of weird huh maybe i got a dud maybe so you should get a get a refund on that free kinder joy egg uh, but it's also kind of interesting. I threw it uh, in uh, to this article as well, or in this news topic as well, where EA was also talking about how they can't even keep track of Tom played in FIFA. And that makes me wonder just what are they tracking? You know, uh, it's not uh, that we could say this person played too much Tom or, and therefore it's unhealthy. Consumers have to cho- have, uh, have to have choice. And they also have to have the right of privacy. And we think that that's very, very important. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that for a second. Uh, they might not be tracking something because they can't, or there's some law that prevents them from doing it that we don't understand, or because they think it's irrelevant. No, no. Maybe but, I'm uh, looking into this too much. Maybe I have the tinfoil out. But I think the reason why they don't track certain things, uh, and this was in the same uh, committee where they were de- uh, they def- uh, were defending the surprise mechanics, I think part of it is trying to weasel out of any responsibility and possibly uh, saying, well, w- since we don't track that, you know, we can't uh, 
uh, deal with it. Just like they said here, and then uh, try to mask it with, uh, but we're respecting their privacy. But at the same time, they talk about being able to track players and their first-person shooters to the point where they could redesign maps because of a choice of a checkpoint being confusing to players. So you know something's not right here. Yeah, I would, uh, I would say that it's probably that one. If they don't track it, then that means they don't have to deal with it, and they don't get enough value out of tracking whatever that specific thing is for it to outweigh the potential cost that they have to deal with for tracking it. I just, I, at this point, like, I just expect everything that I do on anything that's connected to the, to the internet to be monitored at all times by someone somewhere. And it's just easier for me to live my life. Yeah, that here's way. an interesting stat out of all this, though. Uh, it's referring to FIFA, which, you know, is their big cash cow. It's kind of weird that FIFA loot boxes is the E8 cash cow, huh? Uh, the, 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 the developer that has Star Wars. Think about that. And mm-hmm. if you need a moment uh, to go cry, I'll understand. But loot boxes over Star Wars, right? Right, But we don't actually record playtime, Hopkins said. The FIFA game has a number of different modes, and each of the modes are built to be enjoyed differently. Like when we uh, suck all the money out of you. Oh, sorry, that's eritorializing. When we look at how players are playing, we look at have they come into the game recently. We look at something called session days. So they track it based on essentially a a day counter. And they said that the average number of session days for a FIFA player is about 50. That's a rather high average, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I would assume so, but I I don't play FIFA. I played FIFA for like an hour once a few years ago when Katie wanted to play FIFA and then she got mad at me because even though I had never played it before and she had played previously within an hour, I was beating her and then we didn't play anymore. So you had the entire experience there. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. It's... That's good enough for me. I don't care for football. Not well, my sport. What about soccer? Don't care for that either. Well, how about care for that even how less? about basketball? Because uh, I'm not sure if we have a lot uh, else here to talk about outside just, oh, EA, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, outside of just drinking EA. the mobile Kool-Aid. Yeah. Fuck you, EA. That's what I have to say. Yeah, moving on. I don't care about basketball either. But, uh, you know, when it's a news article about a company doing something shitty, we can So, hey, the that. other company that does sports games that do shitty things up in them. Uh, 2K, <laughs> well, uh, remember a while back, I said that sports games are probably one of the few games that you could probably get away with, with uh, having advertisements in, and it uh, you know, actually you know, makes sense in the game, uh, and you know makes the game feel more immersive. Well, 2K has found the, like the one way to do that where you can, where it's immersion breaking. <laughs> It's quite amazing, isn't it? Yep. So they have full advertisements on their loading screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way to do this is, you know, you have the ads in the background in a way that makes sense. The sponsorships. On the, 
on the court or as sponsorships or something that's like in the background on a loading screen. That's fine. Yeah, but makes sense. Sports yeah, but games, a full sports a video advertisement. And mind you, it also blocks the functionality that you would normally have in the loading screen of messing around with your team, according to some of the Raiders here. It's just baffling. What the? I mean, to be fair, to be fair, 2K is like the developer that's been eating paste for the last few years. So they're, you know, they're a little brain dead. This is the company that last year just made an obscene grind with their uh, virtual currency. Like they don't even hide the fact that it's, uh, you know, it's a bullshit currency. They call it VC. <laughs> uh, it was an obscene grind and huge pay-to-win mechanics. And hey, it's a, uh, the same this year, but now you have to watch an advertisement to be able to play the game and you don't even get a bonus for watching the damn ad. I mean... If if they made it skippable and if you watch it and you get a little bit of currency, that's at least you know an argument for it. This is just what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be looking for uh interesting YouTube comments about or videos about this later because I remember I know I think Sid Alpha and Jim Sterling both did videos that I watched uh, Young, yeah, has, discussing uh, uh, this like a 10 minute video on this and I skipped it because I you know, pretty much don't need the 10 minute video for this one. Uh Young yeah, I like yeah. his stuff uh, when it you know there's more content here. But this you know, I don't think we need the 10 minutes. I, we don't need the you know uh, the 10 minute to get to the uh, full uh algorithm pleasing uh, padding, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, this is just, this is shitty. Like, when they first introduced this, I don't remember if we talked about it on the show or not, but I know I thought to myself, well, can't wait till they set it to where it can't be skipped or turned off or whatever. Then it's just there, and you have literal commercials in your game that you paid for. And mind you, this is still a full-price game. Yeah. That's why I added, in your game that you played for. Well, well, I wanted to hammer home the uh, fact this is a $60 game with immersion breaking, flow breaking, full advertisements. Oh, and there, there's the other thing, all right? Here's the other thing about advertising is that typically these games, or even YouTube itself, I mean, YouTube is just as bad about it. They'll have a handful of ads that are curated for you because of the algorithm. So, you know, you get to see the Sunlink damn ad for the 20th fucking time when you're actually using the service. So how old, how quickly will these ads get? Never mind the fact that, you know, you're sitting there for 20 to 30 seconds watching an ad after the game has loaded, mind you, according to some of the uh, editors here. Yeah. I, 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 it's fucking stupid. I'm glad I don't play sports games, but I can't help but think, hmm, I wonder when this is coming to other games that I play. Yeah, and also... Or other games that I do play. Yeah. It's just... What the hell? There's just so much bullshit with the... Uh, both the mobile genre, or the mobile area, or whatever you want to call it, and the sports area. And there's a lot of 
overlap between them now. It just makes me wonder how long it's going to fester until, you know, something spills over. Because we've had advertisement in game before, in games before, particularly like during our pre-show, we talked about it. Racing games have done it on their billboards in the background. A sports game can get away with it with uh, the same, and the sports games have it where, even in real life, the advertisements on the actual field or whatever rotate around so you have more ad space. Yeah. But that's not enough. There's still money on the table. I mean, last year we were talking about them being greedy, and this year we're talking about them being greedy. Yep, and I'd say we'll talk about them being greedy more times this year and also next year and all the times. And I still have this portion of me that wants to almost victim blame the people that are buying the games, but I also uh, recognize that a good chunk of the sports game fans... The ones that aren't buying the game year to year to year are the more casual fans that'll pick it up every like other year or every few years. And they're not, you know, the enthusiast level. So, you know, they didn't hear about, you know, last year, you know, the, all the grind problems and, uh, and progression problems. They didn't, uh, uh, check Steam to, uh, see all the reviews. They, they may have gotten a physical copy. And then have a rude awakening. Actually, hang on. Let's see. Uh, 2K19. Uh, uh, let's see what the Steam score or reviews are sitting at right now. Um, because this ought to be amusing. Uh, actually, higher than I thought it would be. Uh, sitting at 30%. Uh, on recent and 27 on overall. And damn... It, have you went to their store page? No. They have microtransactions all over the place in this. For 2K... 2K19? NBA 2K19? <laughs> and boy, people are pissed. <laughs> Actually, I'm surprised this hasn't hit the threshold for the review bomb uh, th- uh, for Valve. I wonder if that's you know, a manual uh, trigger. You know, they see a lot, of, they get a reviews in, but I'm in, and somebody goes flips a switch. Uh, Gaben wakes up uh, on his throne and uh, hobbles across the room. And then uh, realizes, uh, wait a minute, uh, that's the game development uh, studio. We don't want to go in there. I, actually, I can't say that because they did make a mobile game this week. So, hey, we, we got we won, and Valve is making games again. Still counts for something question mark well turns out it was a monkey paw wish makes you wonder just what the people are uh, reviewing positive here i mean good if you're playing by yourself maybe people reviewing it positive but then saying this game is shit i'm just saying positive so that i don't trigger the review bomb thing or just the sunk cost fallacy maybe but hey, uh, with the Steam uh, uh, Summer Sale, you could buy this piece of shit for ten bucks. Wow! I'll pass. <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm just flabbergasted about the entire thing. Mo- okay, here's a positive review from, or well, positive reviews in the last thirty. If the game wants you to lose, you will lose. Comma. 
but it's still a good game. Uh, that's not like a bad uh, review uh, told in a good way. Man, just uh, going around the subreddit for uh, 2K19, or NBA 2K, I should say, it's a dumpster fire. So this one says, I'm not going to discuss the multiplayer, microtransactions, lack of PC support, lack of community, because if you're here already, then that means you probably know all about that stuff. Good single player. That's that's that what that review says. <laughs> I love uh, people on uh, the Reddit talking about no microtransaction week. Uh, don't buy microtransactions for a week and to show 2K uh, uh, that we're upset. How about don't buy the game? I've I realized, uh, like I said, a good chunk of the people there are probably pissed off are the ones that don't follow gaming all that close, so they don't realize just how utter shit 2K has become. Career mode is good. Everything else is garbage. Don't buy if you want to play with friends. But it's a positive recommendation. I'm going to stop looking at the reviews. <laughs> don't look too far into the dumpster fire. <laughs> okay, last one. It's a positive review. Game crashes constantly. Microtransactions are terrible. Convince me to go play real basketball instead. <laughs> <laughs> Mark that one as funny and not helpful. Alrighty. Well, I think that does it for news topics for this week. Um, so that means it's time for us to move on to Community Corner, where we received an email from good old Jim3535. Um, it was a link to an article and a podcast called Quirks and Quarks, which I've never heard of before, but I kind of like it. Um, might look it up and see what other kind of stuff is on there. Um, but it was a, an episode that was about video games, and they, he interviewed a couple of different people on there discussing some different aspects of games, um, violence in video games, Minecraft, and sort of using that, I think, as a springboard for other video games being educational tools, and then different ways that video games are used for therapy uh, for children. Um, so we will talk about that for a few minutes. All three of these things are topics that we've sort of, uh, that we've talked about at one point in time or another in some way, like violence in video games has come up uh, several times on here about how uh, video games don't actually promote violence. If you keep saying and that, I'll fucking cut about... you. <laughs> and then uh, we've talked about Minecraft as an educational tool before. Um, and then I've talked about using video games in therapy, although I was not aware of the specific game that they had developed called Mind Light, so I might talk about that for a minute. Uh, but that was the third part, so we'll just kind of go through this. Um, was there anything interesting well, the, or that really stuck uh, out about it to you? The interesting thing to me was uh, the, with the Minecraft, uh, every time we've seen it before, uh, Minecraft being used in uh, the classroom, it's been used as essentially like a museum where uh, there'll be like a fixed map. Uh, I think the one we saw... Uh, uh, that I, I remember real well was the structure of the eye, and I yeah, uh, and I commented I how it, uh, it was a little bit tough to visualize just because of how uh, low poly it is, or you know, essentially like pixel art because of how Minecraft is. You know, was it like uh, yard by yard blocks? 
So if, yeah, unless they build it absolutely huge, which they didn't in this particular picture, it, yeah, it looks very rough. Uh, this they used a essentially it sounded like a modded version of Minecraft to kind of sneak in science and history lessons as well, and it gave objectives and essentially missions or quests inside the game itself to uh, complete whatever they were doing. One thing they were talking about was building a Titanic. Uh, with a group of uh, middle schoolers. Uh, I believe it was 8th graders. Uh, yeah. Another one was a historic city, but I can't recall which city it was. Yeah, I don't remember uh, which city was. was talking either. about the life in the city and different things and was incorporating history lessons. And, and it sounded like it was a highly modified version of Minecraft that we hadn't seen before. So I found that to be particularly interesting. So... Minecraft Educational Edition. We've seen games do that somewhat. Uh, Kerbal Space Program actually has an educational version that does a few different things. As a good example, yeah, and, the more uh, recent Assassin's oh, Creed sorry. also. I think that's where you're going with that. But that's, yeah, that's what I was about but to that's, say. Uh, once again, the more museum aspect of it. True. True. Where th- uh, this is more but... learning by doing uh, with the Minecraft and uh, Kerbal Space Program. Uh, which uh, works Still, though, better I mean, with what... some students uh, outside of uh, the more museum style. Yeah, but, you know, what museums can you go to where you can scale the actual exhibits, you know? I mean, I know it's exactly the same. Oh, uh, well, there's one near me that to... uh, has a scalable uh, art, so. Well, that's interesting. I can't get my fat ass up it, but uh, they... <laughs> uh, but it's... Uh, uh, the Clay Center has... Uh, uh, some uh, of the, uh, the science exhibits that are scalable, if I recall correctly. That's interesting. Um, I would suppose that's more uncommon than common. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Uh, you know, the first part being video games essentially don't uh encourage or increase violence among youth for a variety of reasons which we've talked about before primarily you know we've seen this sort of sort of behavior and thought pattern with everything as it's new and it's like oh my god save the children you know radio and with tv and with different types and styles of music you know jazz rap metal etc look at the very bottom and and those things don't actually prove to be true. Most of what has to do with people um, and violent tendencies has to do with parenting uh, and socioeconomic status. Oh, that's neat. Ashton's climbing like sculpture, and it's this massive uh, cargo net thing. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And it goes up like two stories. I'd climb that. I could get up it. Well, it take me well, a while. See, uh, it's my crippled fat it. ass. But you, uh, yeah, uh, this climb is challenging. You should not climb if you're afraid of heights. You do not like tight spaces. You're prone to dizziness. You're pregnant. Well, uh, you're out, Jared. <laughs> uh, you have heart or blood issues, or you have any medical condition that can impair you while climbing. Well, they might count me out on that one. Yeah, diabetes. Yeah, that diabetes. But anyways, you know, they he's got someone on, he interviews it, she talks about it a little bit, um, the violence in video games part, that is. 
The uh, the part that I found interesting, which I've talked about using video games as a tool for therapy with kids, and I've utilized Minecraft and some other games that encourage, um, you know, productivity, focus, working towards goals, things like that. Um, but they specifically have developed a game called Mind Light, which uses um, a sensor on the head to detect the brain waves that are associated with anxiety um, and and fear essentially um, to help teach kids to utilize uh, breathing and grounding techniques to reduce their anxiety. Whenever they are anxious, it turns the lights down in the game where they can't see what to do. Um, And then they have to utilize uh, these breathing, grounding techniques, et cetera, to calm down and then um, continue playing. That's a really interesting way to give uh, positive feedback for utilizing grounding and coping skills. I I teach those to people all the time, kids and adults. And most of the time you can find something that works for somebody. Um, You know, there's a million and one coping skills out there. And most of the time deep breathing works with people, uh, probably about 70 to 80% of the population. And if that doesn't work, there's a whole host of other coping skills that you can use. But actually teaching people how to use them, encouraging them to actually try them when things are difficult for them is is the biggest issue. Because most people are like, oh, that breathing shit, that doesn't work. But it does because you're providing uh, different, essentially feedback to your body to sort of trick your biological systems to slow your heart rate down and things like that, which can help reduce uh, anxiety by slowing that panic response, which can allow your uh, sort of the rational portion of your brain to take back over and calm things down. And this provides an instantaneous and fun way to teach those skills and utilize that feedback loop. Um, And they talk in the actual podcast itself about how they're using mind, you know, using their mind light instead of referring to it as like, I'm going to use my deep breathing coping skills or whatever. They'd say, I'm going to use my mind light, which is great because you want people to take ownership of that in order to be able to implement it into their, their daily lives. And I had not heard of mind light and I'm going to, I think it's still in the testing phases based on what they were talking about, but I'm going to do some more research on that and see if I can actually get a hold of a copy of that. Um, that would be a really good resource to use in therapy. It would be great for kids, but I could see it working for a lot of adults too. Um, just as again, an instant way to provide that feedback loop to them. So I thought that was really cool. They compared it to having a a similar success rate to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the most empirically researched and proven type of therapy. And uh, they said that it was working essentially about twice as fast as cognitive behavioral therapy, which I'm not sure about that. Cognitive behavioral therapy tends to work really well in a very narrow set of circumstances, but outside of those circumstances a lot more difficult to utilize but i don't i won't get too far into the nitty-gritty of all of that but that's just some stuff that i'm looking at going hmm i could see this working but i'm not sure if your numbers are completely accurate given you've only done a, a small amount of testing and studies with this comparatively speaking so i want to actually take a, a hard look at that research and then see if i can get my hands on a copy of of mind light. But anyways, I thought that was very neat. So, and very specifically applicable to what I do. 
which is why I didn't latch onto it. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the whole thing. It's like a twenty minute podcast episode, a little bit less because there's some sort of build up and then um, let down as the episode winds up and then finishes. So somewhere between you know fifteen eighteen minutes of actual content, so you can get through it pretty quickly. And then the accompanying article basically has all the information, uh, just not quite as much of the personality. And they do go a little bit deeper in the interviews than the article itself covers. But neat stuff. Thank you very much, Jim. And thank you, Jim, for that. If you wish to uh, well uh, throw us some more content, you do so vglpodcast at gmail.com or just tweet it to us, vglpodcast on the Twitter. Or, of course, our Discord, which is on vglpodcast.podbean.com. You'll have a link there. So, Discovery Q? Indeed. Uh, before we start Discovery Q, just want to say the summer sale is on. It started today, and it goes through July the 9th. So, you're going to get two two full weeks of summer saleness. So, if you were not aware of that, head on over there and check it out. So, I have one immediately, once again. And this is one that you're going to be pissed at me for getting. Okay. Cyberpunk. Huh? I'm not pissed <laughs> that you got that. I see Cyberpunk on my queue. It's like the third or fourth game in my queue. It was first for me, but... Uh, is it possible to be listening to this and not know about Cyberpunk uh, 2077 at this point? I suppose so. Uh, CD I Projekt mean, Red... Uh, take on the cyberpunk genre, basically taking everything they've learned from the Witcher series and applying it to a, uh, essentially what uh, Deus Ex would have been if uh, they were actually given a budget. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's the one I've heard uh, a couple times is Deus Ex with a big budget. And that's not wrong. Yeah, maybe with a little bit less of a conspiracy uh, lean to it, but Definitely not wrong. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. So, you got one? Yeah, I'm going to put it in there right now. It's called Hell Let Loose. Um, it is a World War II game. Um, multiplayer. It's At first, I was like, is this a World War II Battle Royale? Because it's like 100 players on a map. But it sounds like it's more like a tug-of-war style multiplayer game where you're the idea is to have really large battlefields <laughs> with huge loose. player counts nice with uh with but with you know big player counts and you're trying to essentially take over the map um it looks neat uh you know i'd like to check it out before i say yay or nay for sure because i definitely like world war ii games it's been a while since there's been in my opinion a very good one um so, if this turned out to be really good, then I'd be all about that. So, it looks like uh, there's roles, so it looks like they're maybe going for sort of a battlefield type of game, like with classes and things like that, and uh, large maps, kind of like how the more recent Battlefield games have done it, but it's not Battlefield, it's an indie game? Which is no, interesting. Uh, especially... Black Matter... Especially going... Uh, oh, a big multiplayer uh, for an indie company. That's always a big risk. Sometimes it pays off, but that's Yeah, and it's not rare. free to play. Yeah, it's not free to play. It's early access. It's like a fully purchasable game. 
I don't know. Hmm. Cool. Looks neat. Keep an eye on that. So, uh, I'm back in the roguelikes. Uh, uh, with a uh, roguelite, I should say. They, even though they call it the wrong thing. Zen Gun. Which is an anime-style action role-playing game. When a lunar eclipse... When Lunar Eclipse, you, one of the students of the Celestial College, start your dot dot dot. So, looks like uh, a bit more hack and slashy than uh, Enter the Gungeon. So, if you wanted something that was more beat em up, hack and slash, uh, more traditional ARPG, this would be more up your alley. Or if you just want uh, anime girls, because there's a girl with uh, uh, cat ears on her headphones. But looking at the reviews or someone saying uh, uh, I failed and it sent me back to the beginning which makes me feel stressed and disappointed. It's a roguelike. So, you're up. Yep, I got a game specifically for Ghost Shark. Oh, it's called Police Simulator Patrol uh, I've seen Duty. I've on Key Mailer. I uh, put in for a key for it, but Experience the exciting day-to-day life of a U.S. Oh, or sorry, of an U.S. police officer in police simulator patrol duty, and it just goes to list a bunch of stuff. That's basically what cops do. Uh, Is there donuts? Pull over speeders, uh, arrest criminals, <laughs> investigate, yada yada. But I say that specifically because Ghost Shark plays. Oh, I forget what it's called, but it's like a, a Grand Theft Auto like mod where they, there's police officers and you have to like actually do reports and patrols and things like that. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, Shark, because I've, not to shame you, but I don't understand that at all. I just pick because I care. <laughs> okay, uh, here's one that's odd, mostly because it's not a VR game. I originally thought this was Cooking Simulator. And this isn't the wacky uh, kind of uh, simulator. This looks like it's an actual game meant to teach how to cook, at least to some degree. So kind of like PC building Uh, simulator? I I would say, uh, yeah, sort of like that mixed with Cooking Mama. So uh, uh, follow recipes, uh, uh, cut vegetables. Uh, The reason why I was checking this was... the way it handles, it looks like it'd be a VR game, but it's not. And it looks like it doesn't even support VR, which is just weird. Very, very weird. Uh, this is just one that uh, I, I talk about. Yeah. Uh, well, it does say it has the VR tag. I'm not sure if that's a, a misprint uh, or uh, if it's going to have VR. And it's, uh, it's just... Uh, very strange, and if you want something that will teach you to cook, maybe this would be something like that, but it looks like it's still very rough, but it's not in early access, and it's full price, and it's not even on sale. But hey, uh, something odd, right? Hey, I just got Police Simulator. <laughs> nice. So I got Destiny 2, and I don't really give a shit about Destiny 2 at this point, but I'm putting it on the list because after they're split with Activision... De- there's been rumors that Destiny 2 is going to go free to play at some uh, point. Rumors, they've confirmed releasing... it. Oh, they did confirm it? I missed that, apparently. But they're releasing on Steam with their next sort of uh, update or expansion. 
um, which is in September. Yeah, Destiny 2 goes uh, free to play in September uh, uh, with all the year one content unlocked. Gotcha. So I thought you knew about that. That's why yep. I never put it on the docket. No, I must have missed it. I'd heard that they were talking about it, and then I missed... I feel pretty far behind on like all of the vi- the video game podcasts I listen to because I've been listening to Dice Funk, uh, going back and re-listening to the older seasons that I'd never listened to before. So I'm like a month behind. Yeah, I so had I'm to sure skip my soon. podcast and just uh, essentially download fresh because I got tired of listening to podcasts talking about Christmas. <laughs> I mean, if I wanted that, I would just wait a couple months and download new ones anyway. Yeah. So I got the newest edition of the F1 series, F1 2019 Anniversary Edition. I mean, it's the F1 games. Uh, they're usually at least fairly good on the simulation side of things. It, they're not exactly my cup of tea. They're, but it's you know something for those who want to play it. It's coming out in, a, in just under two days as of recording. So who knows how good it actually is and, until you know, two days from now. Uh, of course, don't pre-order, because that'd be naughty. And they also have a whole buttload of DLC for it. It's kind of odd to have an F1 game coming out in the middle of the Steam Summer Sale, though. So I'm I'm reading... Uh, which, which sun... Something or other. Elleros Origins. Uh, looks like a... Open world... RPG that gives me like old school Elder Scrolls vibes from just looking at it. Could be wrong. Might not be. I don't see anything on here about it being like inspired by the Elder Scrolls or spiritual successor to X or Y game. But just like looking at this makes me feel like, ah, this feels kind of like an older Elder Scrolls game. Maybe like in Oblivion. So... But let's see. You're the only one who can stop the cataclysm from destroying the land of Elleros. Every 400 years, a cataclysm wipes out nearly all life in the land of Elleros, and the last cataclysm was 399 years ago. So, looks cool. I'm always up for single-player exploration, or single-player games, in a world where the AAA studios, for the most part, think that single-player games are dead. Oh, I got... My last one is an oddball. And both a good and a bad way. Uh, Space okay. Engine. So, Space Engine is a, well, up until this point, a free-to-play, pseudo-procedurally generated, but not really, uh, uh, simulator for just space travel. Basically, what would happen is they would uh, put in as much as they could of, of real space, and then they would procedurally generate the rest. And as uh, things become, uh, you know, as uh, science progresses, they update it. So, Space Engine is releasing on Steam, or has released, on, it has, has released on Steam. And from what I could tell, the main difference is updated graphics, VR support. I'm not sure if the free version has it. Um, they've also made it so that they've changed the flight simulator mechanics so you could have spaceship physics and navigation to do you know cool flabas hey you could recreate the opening of star trek uh, next generation just have to uh, get voyager in it right <laughs> uh but yeah 
an updated planetarium and more tools. So essentially a premium version of the free game. I'm not sure how they're going to uh, update the free version or if, they, if they're essentially going Dwarf Fortress and this is a funding st uh, way to uh, bring in more funds or if they're kind of uh, abandoning the free version and going full premium. I'm, I hadn't heard which way they're going just yet. Uh, Dwarf Fortress is going the other way where essentially uh, the developer of Dwarf Fortress is uh, concerned about his health eventually failing because you know, Dwarf Fortress is never going to end. Just him. Which sounds like a cruel way to say it, but what the hell, right? Uh, so yeah. he realized that at some point he's going to have to have uh, a more steady income because the way Dwarf Fortress donations work is whenever there's a big uh, release, he gets a huge spike and then it trickles down to about the you know, the noise level. I'm not sure if that's this or not. I mean, Space Engine, I've toyed around with it before and it's interesting to go through and you know, see some of the procedural generation. And it makes me wonder just how many uh, screenshots we're going to see of uh, this in the background of like uh, visual novels uh, that's crappily thrown on Steam in like a month. Probably a few. I might get this, actually. My kid is really into space right now, and this would be a fun thing to sit down with him. But that to, wraps to up my queue. Yeah, my queue's done too. I had a interesting assortment. I, I, I did. I had some outright porn games. I mean, not even yeah, pretending to be porn. Uh, yeah, a little risque. They were just porn. Yeah, I didn't get any fun porn games. They're, they're starting to get uh, this time. They're starting to get more common. I've seen lots of like trashy like porn games, but not trashy in like a hey hey kind of way, but like an oh god, that's uh, terrible. Uh, as in like the really cheap uh, plastic girls as in yeah. uh, you know, the CG but uh, they weren't able to make realistic skin so they all look like blow up dolls yeah or the ones that just do like some some lewd anime pictures and then put them on like the tile puzzles oh, uh, see yeah, like a million yeah, the, of those uh, asset flips yeah. uh I have seen uh, the VR experience uh, pop up every so often as well. Yeah, a girl in a room and you're a creep with her. Yeah, I've seen seen a few of those actually. Yeah, it makes you feel good about the development of VR, huh? Woo! I mean, sex sells. Yeah. Porn is probably the biggest driver for VR for the consumer. Either that or engineers engineer porn. Oh, uh, that would be called mechanical porn. That's on Reddit. Woo. Uh, actually, I'm not joking. No, I know. There's lots of whatever porn subreddits that are... Not porn? Just lots of the thing that you're looking for. Yeah, not, not porn uh, they're, in the they're, traditional They're called sense. the Safe for Work Porn Network. Yeah. But, Ooh. that does us for Discovery well, I, Q. I, I was heading over to Reddit to uh, you know, randomly grab you that link and I did see something interesting I'm just going to drop it here I'm not going to say it on the podcast itself but I think you'll uh, I think this will make you smile there you go ooh nice Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about that in our kind of post show wind down I think 
Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. But to get to that post-show wind-down, first thing you got to do, Rage, is hit it with the socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on the YouTube, uh, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR. And maybe someday you'll find me on Twitch.tv, which will be Caffeine underscore Rage. And what the hell, if you wish to send me a message, you can find me on Steam, Caffeine Rage. And you've been? Yeah, I have been Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist on Twitter at JMA4707 and on Steam uh, JArthur4707. And if you're a little slow, know exactly, exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from. The password for this week is Bomanomicon. My favorite version of the Necronomicon. <laughs> Nice. Uh, from Team Fortress 2, if you uh, must know as well. Bomanomicon. It just rolls off the tongue really well. Don't you agree? It does. Does and indeed. used to have other things roll well off our tongue. Well, you're in tough luck, but you can try it anyway. VGLpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, gaming-related topics, or tweet them to us at VGLpodcast. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this absolute madness possible. You can find out more at patreon.com slash Podcast. And our lovely patrons have made our Podbean uh, also possible. VGLpodcast.podbean.com was host links to our uh, RSS feed, all our stuff online, and I do mean all of it. Links to the Discord, or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. I actually downloaded one this week and I decided to check to see if we were there. And we were. <laughs> so, hey, how about that? And also, how about this? Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kim McLeod and our Discovery Q music is Doobly Doo by the same artist. And you can find his work at Incomputech.com and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice... Bye-bye now. See you next time. Bye. So, uh, warning, politics ahead. <laughs> Oh, I was holding that yawn in for like 30 seconds, just waiting for to do my thing. Mm. Now, I'm not yawning because of the politics. I'm yawning because I'm getting sleepy, but now I'm good. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, this has been something that should have happened ages ago. Uh, Robin Mueller has uh, agreed to testify publicly before Congress. Yep, that should have happened like uh, immediately. I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, with, with like, oh no, we I've done the report, and now it's up to them to take care of things. I have done my part, I'm going to uh, step back now. I think now. part of it is just that he didn't anticipate just how much obfuscation there was going to be of the literal wording of the report. Yeah, probably. Muller, I don't know tons and tons about him. Like, I've done some research... He's After a very he straight shooter, and I think he believed in the system a bit 
too much for how things have degenerated. Yeah, he's... I almost said he takes things literally, but I, I think that's the wrong he's, way to say he, it. He, he's, he, he's a straight he, shooter. He's He goes by the letter of the law. Yeah, he functions within a narrow, a very narrow purview. So, like, you know, he was told, you know, to kind of sum it up, he was, like, told to do the investigation. So he did that investigation. He passed off everything that wasn't directly related to the specific investigation to several of the other cases that are going on right now. And then he finished that, and he's like, okay, I'm done. I did my part. Now here's your part. Yeah, but he didn't uh, anticipate uh, Mitch McConnell uh, dragging feet on everything, right? Yeah, which I'm not sure how he thought that his report would be any different from anything else that's been going on, but I don't know. I think you're right. Maybe I think he still had a little too much faith in the system. So it's going to be interesting come mid-July when this happens. Yeah. And I think part of this is just going to be, uh, it's sad that this has to happen, especially in the age of literally carrying the great library of Alexandria in your pocket or something that makes that look like a pamphlet. But yeah, that and then some, uh, but just getting the, all the obfuscation out and make it so that it's in plain text because the Mueller report is a very long legal document. And unless you you know, know how to read it, which I do not, it is very confusing. So those who have just uh, watched, let's call it bullshit news, have just heard, well, the Mueller report has exonerated the president. It, it, it said he did, did nothing wrong. There's no collusion. Um, no. But, you know, they don't cover that. And there was, oh, I'm blanking on who had the town hall that, uh, it was one of the Republican lawmakers that uh, talked about the Mueller report and people were just flabbergasted because they you know, had only listened to Fox News, so they had heard nothing but what Barr said. Yeah. I mean, willful ignorance is really it's, it, it, it's my frustrating. Willful ignorance is my biggest psychotic fucking hatred. It's okay not to know something. Uh, in this day, it's impossible to know everything. It's impossible really to know a little bit about everything. But to say, I don't know and I don't want to know, uh, just pisses me off. Uh, I was uh, listening to, uh, well, I told you I deleted all my podcast or my backlog of podcasts and redownload everything. Uh, I'm I'm very yeah. close to just dropping the Pendulette podcast because he was uh, talking about how Bill Nye was wrong. And it wasn't, you know, factual or anything. He was talking about an interview Bill Nye had, talking about essentially doing uh, science yourself. And the one that he gets asked the most often that people could easily do is, does hot water freeze faster than uh, room temperature water or cold water? Well, he said, do the experiment yourself. And Pendulite went off about it, saying, well, just give the answer. Um... That's not the point he was trying to make. But 
I, yeah. I realize uh, Pendulette has uh, started to go down down the crazy hole a lot. I haven't kept up with Pen in a while. Uh, ever since he went on the diet and got a guru, and no, I'm not joking. He's gone more and more into the uh, uh, health alternative area, which has a lot of pseudoscience. I mean, his diet would have killed you. Uh, it's basically uh, uh, baked potatoes. Yeah, that would have killed me. No salt, no nothing. Just potatoes. It's it's the Mark Watney diet. And no, I'm not joking. It, if, if it's not that, it's pretty close to it. He doesn't even get ketchup. Which is just sad, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just... I, I'm not sure what to uh, do with him anymore. To be fair, I also you know, don't listen to a lot of his stuff anymore because he brings on a lot of health experts, if you do, if you get my drift. Yeah, I think it gets your drift. And it's starting to get a little... Why don't you just tell me to hold a crystal and be done with it? <laughs> well, that sucks. I always liked Penn as sort of this... Skeptical voice? Yeah. Skeptical voice and, uh, uh, you know, a very realistic person. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. But it just feels like, yo, uh, Pendula has really changed. Is this the Sunday School yeah. podcast? Or is he got a, a, okay. I'll probably, I, I should give it a listen at some point just to see. Uh, especially some of the newer probably ones. Probably two or three years since I've listened to an episode. But I should go check it out just to see it, how much it's changed since the last time I listened to it. Oh, it. It, it'll it'll be a culture shock for you <laughs> if uh, you haven't listened to it in years. It's going to be very different, especially if you pick one of the ones where he uh, starts bringing on some of his buddies. Let's see. Yeah, the last time I listened was before we moved, so that would have been two and a half years ago at least. Yeah, I'm actually bringing up my podcatcher. Or my, the one on the computer, at least. No, I don't want to download a new version. Do, do, do. Update podcast. So, let's see. Uh, he brings on a, a comedian. This is part two of a podcast that I don't have the part one of. Uh, on street cred, saving money on clothes, reading uh, uh, drugs, and emotional astronauts. So, yeah, that's a thing, huh? Yep. Let's see. Uh, Penn family tour of Newfoundland. Teller doesn't get along with Cobblestone and David uh, Copperfield uh, makes them nervous. So that may actually be an interesting one. That's yeah, not uh, full of uh, hippie goodness. Let's see. Where? Uh, view all episodes. Here we go. Let's see. Telling the Tanked. Uh, sexual harassment at the Hulk, uh, juggling accents, and a lesson in consciousness with Tim Jensen, which I have no idea who that is. But you could, uh, but you could see where I'm going with it, huh? Yeah. Sad, huh? Yeah. 
but you know, I guess it happens sometimes. People change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's time to wrap it up though, because I need to get ready for bed. Unfortunately, my vacation is over. Yeah, time for pumpkins. Gotta go back to work tomorrow. Indeed. Good thing you're well rested, so, so you had uh, a little extra time tonight. Indeed. Indeed. But, bye bye.